BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller, let them have it, cause this is just an intro. Keeping the strong style, six stars from the get go, boy. Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome, this is Keeping It Strong Style with your host, Jeremy Donovan, and the young boy, Joshua Smith. And thank you for listening. Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. The young boy Josh Smith here with special guest host Floyd Johnson Jr. of All Things Elite. On today's show, we're going to review the All-Star Junior Festival 2023 USA and Impact X NJPW Multiverse United 2 for whom the bell tolls. All that took place this past weekend, and we're going to cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get this and all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com, frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.us today for details and uh as i mentioned earlier in the show intro floyd how you doing man you're with us did you did you hear that intro 
it was all like professional and stuff. <laughs> this is why I have Austin do the intros at our show. I just sound like an overly excited fanboy when I get on here. So <laughs> that was good shit. No, but I'm I'm really happy to be on the show. When you when you uh, got me, I was like, oh yeah, I'm clearing my schedule. There was no hesitation. I was very happy to be on Keeping It Strong Style. Well, we're glad to have you. I mean, you've been on the show with us before, correct? Absolutely. It's been a okay. while, but I I've, I've been on before. I just didn't know if we needed to go through, you know, your whole entire pro backstory and yada, yada, yada. But we can kind of skip over that. But we are glad to have you here. And um, one bit of order that I need to just get out of the way before we jump into things. This um, past couple of weeks was Jeremy's birthday and marriage anniversary. Uh, his anniversary was on the 7th and then his birthday was the 18th. So we want to wish him a, a very happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jeremy. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, he's uh I get to see him this weekend. I'm very excited about that. Yeah, are you guys meeting up? I don't know if we're officially meeting up, but we're gonna see each other. I'm gonna make sure that happens. I mean, somewhere in the eighty thousand people I'll find Jeremy. Well, I, I didn't wish him a, a birthday. You know, um just kind of getting into it. This is what happened. So last couple of years I've been doing this thing where I've been trying to be a better person. So every day and it's just a small thing, but every day I'd go on Facebook and look up the birthdays and just wish everybody in my birth in my like birthday list a happy birthday, right? And then um, last couple of weeks, I don't know, I just got bogged down and I kind of got behind. I was like, you know what? I missed too many of these birthdays. We're just gonna jump to September. Little did I remember that Jeremy's birthday. <laughs> was included in the couple days that I'm like taking off from wishing people birthday. So I like, I missed his birthday, but um, I know he's going to eventually listen to this episode, I assume. So my bad, bro. Happy birthday. <laughs> hey, I mean, he's in, a, he's in another country having a good time. I mean, his birthday was happy no matter what. I don't, yeah, I haven't spoken to Jeremy whatsoever. And generally speaking, we, we don't normally talk every day, but, you know, we'll talk periodically through the week, but we always have a standing appointment to do the show. So that's when we usually, you know, spend most of the time talking. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know where he's been. I don't know what he's doing. I don't even know if he's seen any of these shows or matches. <laughs> I don't know if he knows who won the G1 yet. <laughs> Dude, that's how you know you're having a good vacation. It's like <laughs> if I, I tell people if I'm messaging you on Facebook or in Twitter and it's like asking how you're doing or something, that means I'm not having a good time. <laughs> I'm like when I come back and I'm like, I don't know what happened the last three days. You know, I, I had a good time. <laughs> I know that he did meet up with uh, Murray. Um, Ricky and Clive, all three of those guys who are, you know, contributors to the social suplex network over in uh, Scotland. So I know he did meet up with them at some point during the trip, which is pretty cool. Cause I don't think they've ever met in, in real life. But um, other than that, you know, he's gallivanting and he's on a lavish, you know, vacation cruise and uh, he's all over Europe. So I don't know, but, um, and then he gets to get end it, it with the greatest, biggest wrestling show in wrestling history. So there you go. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's going to be the next thing we talk about here. So All In is coming up this weekend. I know it's not necessarily super New Japan centric, but I figured it's a good time to talk about it just briefly because uh, Floyd, you're going to the show, correct? Did you end up getting your passport situation <laughs> dude, figured out? Dude, it, it was an epic journey. Uh, I always say one more thing to add to my, my wrestling, uh, as some people call it, legend. 
Uh, yeah, I put in my passport uh, information in early June. Paid expedited. It was supposed to be in plenty of time to get my passport back. Well, I put some information on my passport wrong, uh, information wrong. And that's like the one thing you can't do. If everything's right. right, it comes back in seven weeks. It wasn't. So 14 roughly days ago, I had to call. And then I had to hope to get an appointment. I got an appointment for Monday. Went in. Gave them my information. They were like, oh, you've already done all this. And then I showed them. And he's like, oh, I see where your typo is. And they're like, yeah. It kind of goes to the bottom of the list if there's a typo because so many people put in their stuff correctly. But anyway, I got it, gave them the information, got it printed out. I have passport in hand. So I get to go to London. And yeah, <laughs> no, because I went, I mean, with speaking of all in, I went all in. I had. I paid for the plane, paid for the hotel. I paid mm-hmm. for everything in advance. It was like, I got to go. And, you know, and so it happened. It was fairly easy. As I've heard horror stories. It was fairly easy. Um, yeah, I'm looking for it. i am got all my pink and black ready for the weekend. I am, <laughs> I am, like, beyond excited. And I'm excited to see, like, I've made a lot of friends in the U.K. over the years. And I'm excited to actually see them in their home turf where they're most comfortable. They're always coming over here and you hear about the epic journey and all that stuff. So I get to do that once. And um, I remember when All Things Elite started uh, and Tony Khan said something about Cottage K. He's like, we're going to do a show in London. And I had, I've said since the beginning of the show from when he made that rumor that the first AEW show in London, I would be there. And it would be my first show out of the country and yeah so i am gonna be there i'm very happy i'm very fortunate and i'm glad to be with all the people i'm going with yeah, finish it um finish i it listened with- to the latest episode of all things elite so i heard yeah. the uh the dire situation you were going through i didn't know if you figured it out but i'm uh, very glad and happy to hear that you are in fact uh attending all in which is man i'm jealous like that's gonna be just incredible you know i was at the uh the original all in and to this day that's one of the most surreal um wrestling environments and crowds have ever been a part of so i can only imagine what you know eighty thousand plus people's gonna be like you know absolutely um it's i mean being at a uk show i mean or uh, 2000 early well 2017 2016 progress uh I used to watch their shows pretty religiously, like every the the monthly shows. And you couldn't watch them on demand. You had to watch them a little bit after they came out. But mm-hmm. the action, it was just like they made a few hundred people in a bar feel like 10,000. So yeah. I only can imagine what it's going to be like with 80,000 people singing along to the music, doing their chants. I said, uh, I asked a friend, I was like, do y'all have like a set list? Because they're always singing songs and they get into the songs and it seems like they know the songs and they're like, no, we just kind of <laughs> come up with them there. I'm like, all right, I'll do my best. I'll hum. I'll just hum. But I'm, I'm, I'm um, looking forward to it. So it, uh, not to get into the weeds with uh, the whole entire show, obviously I'll leave that to you guys over on All Things Elite, but I do know that there were some... Um, reports recently i just saw that perhaps phoenix is off the show due to like travel visa issue and that um 
I saw Sean Ross Sapp is um, also reporting that Tony Khan was quoted as saying he might need to make other changes to the show that were unwanted. Have you heard anything about any of that yet? Yes. Uh, yeah, it looks like Phoenix is off the show. Visa issues. I, I, as someone that was just going through my own passport issues, I know Visa is a whole nother level. So I am, mm-hmm. I'm not shocked. Uh, the government, the government. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> like it. I doubt it was anyone's fault kind of thing. And um, yeah, that's disappointing. I, I, I love Ray. I always, he's one of those people that he shocks me every time he's in the ring. So I'm, I'm bet I'm sure he's disappointed that he won't be able to make the show, but uh, Tony has uh Tony, Tony has a, a way of adjusting. I always say in Tony, I trust because in the end, he's like, a. I, I know there's one pay-per-view where everybody didn't like in general, but he's pretty much got like a 95% hit rate on pay-per-view. So I think they'll, they'll, uh, they'll come up with big and I'm hoping they call out. I hope they call the rainmaker. I am very disappointed. He's not on the show. <laughs> I'm like very disappointed as someone that was at the first all in with you. It was just like everyone that you could get, you know, that hasn't been canceled and that you yeah. could get to be on the show that was on the first show. I think you should. Cause I remember, I mean, all in was like a love letter to professional wrestling. It wasn't like, it wasn't about a company. There was no company. I mean, it had everybody from each, each company just all having fun. That battle Royal at the beginning was amazing. Uh, it was just like, I just, it was a fun show. It wasn't about like this super card and super dream matchups. It was just a fun show. Yeah, that shows um, one of the things that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it was definitely part of the show was how many other companies world champions were featured, even if they didn't necessarily bring the titles out. But you had like the NWA champion, the Ring of Honor champion, the New Japan world champion, AAA's world champion the WWN champ and so on and so forth. Like there were a lot of different top guys from all over the industry sort of featured all at the same time. So um, I was sort of kind of thinking that there'd be not, not necessarily like obviously it's a fine line because this is such a huge momentous show for AEW. You want to get as many of their talents on the show as possible, but at the same time, because it's like a, a WrestleMania-esque sort of stage, you would expect for some of their partnerships to be featured a little bit more. And me personally, and this actually goes into a question we had from um, Rambone Slam Pig. He says, uh, other than Osprey, do you expect any other last-minute involvement from NJPW talent at All In? And, you know, the one thing I was thinking is even if it's, un- you know, not realistic to get, four or three names from new japan if even if you just were going to have one being that they are their largest partner and new japan has such a strong presence in the uk already i would have uh, imagined that at the very very least kazushiko okada would be on the show because he is the ace of the company it just seems like a natural fit and i'm kind of surprised that he's not on the show at all well now we got like Four spots available with the three, <laughs> three in uh, the three in the battle royal. I don't know. I don't see a co- being in the Blackpool Combat Club, but maybe, maybe uh, Brian Danielson tapping him out, uh, beat some respect into him, and he joins. <laughs> I doubt that, but you know, 
I, I, you know, I feel like there's somewhere, it has to be somewhere for the Rainmaker. It's like 80,000 people, that stadium, you need the Rainmaker entrance. It's just, like, like if you ask me the one thing, like, I am pretty happy with the show. I am, unlike a lot of people, I am very happy with what we're getting. But it was like, the fact that Okada has not even been rumored or anything just seems like a huge swing and a miss to me. Maybe he's not available, I don't know, but it seems like a huge swing and a miss. Well, the one spot on the show that seems like maybe, and I'm not saying it is because it could be anything, but the one spot that could potentially feature New Japan talent that are, are unannounced is that stadium stampede match. And that features the strong openweight champion, Eddie Kingston, teaming with the best friends, Orange Cassidy, Penta, and somebody who's, I, I'm supposing, going to uh, replace Phoenix. And they're taking on um, John Moxley, Claudio, and Wheeler Utah of the Blackpool Combat Club, along with three other individuals. But we don't know who those three individuals are. And part of me was wondering, like, you know, could it be Ishii? But would that work, you know, considering that he was teaming with Kingston just a couple months ago? So I, I don't know. But um, maybe there's a maybe there's some space for some New Japan involvement with those three unannounced individuals. But <laughs> I also feel like it could be like a, a curveball, like a Chris Hero, or like even um, like a Nigel McGuinness or something like that. I, I uh, so my first thoughts, like my initial thought, were is it's going to be Chris Hero. Um, you're more. Is that the one that wrestles with Moxley a lot? Oh no no no! Uh, Umino. Umino, Shota, the shooter. Duh, yeah, the shooter. <laughs> and then I feel like it would be Minoru Suzuki because he's always the surprise in every AEW event. <laughs> like anytime yeah. they need a surprise, Kaze Nihari hits on the microphone. So <laughs> I that's that was my initial three, and then I got to thinking. I was like, I keep hearing that Pride and Powerful is coming back, and mm. you know, Proud and Powerful is coming back, and you know, being on the other side of Kingston because remember Ortiz and Kingston kind of had that, yeah, that falling out. yeah, yeah, that falling out. So that could work, and then I I think Chris Hero is definitely one of the three. I just mm-hmm. like because it's like it's the perfect type of match for him because you know it's a you know walking brawl as we call it stadium stampede he can wear a shirt you know he you know like if he doesn't feel like he's in the greatest shape he can just come out there and just throw elbows and do dope stuff because I enjoy him quite a bit as a wrestler so I think I think Hero is definitely going to be one. So since we're on the subject, um, they just announced this past week that Will Osprey of United Empire will be taking on Chris Jericho at All In. Um, Floyd, what are your thoughts on this match and the build, you know, leading up to it? Because I got to tell you, I've seen a lot of criticism on the New Japan fan side of things. Now, I'm not necessarily in that camp, but I've seen it. And uh, there's a lot of people that just, uh, they're not really in favor of this matchup. But I think a lot of that has to do with like Jericho hate. (laughs) Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, the build is trash. It's literally like you. This is like the first match I heard about months ago when all in. It's like it feels like there would have been a little more to it. But, yeah. uh, you know, the build. Yeah, it, it hasn't been a great build. Pretty much, honestly, except for MJF and MJF and Adam Cole. That's the only one that I truly believe has a build. Other stuff you can add your own story to or fill in the blanks on your own. But 
uh, yeah, it hasn't been a great build, but it's like it's Jericho versus Osprey. How much do you need when you're talking about you know all-time legend Chris Jericho, one of the best wrestlers, if not the best wrestler in the world, Will Osprey? You don't need much, but uh, yeah, but there isn't there there wasn't anything I could see from a New Japan side. You know, Will Osprey like he did he's home he's got the uk belt he's he's has so much stuff that you could build on to make this a much bigger match than it is and you got canada versus uk this is a straight shout out to SummerSlam 92 with british <laughs> bulldog and bret hart i'm like you have canada versus uk with the belt on the line there's so much you could have went into on this and it's just like and you're like, you have what four hours, five hours of TV every week? You saying <laughs> you could, you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't drop one of uh, Jericho's uh, meeting meetings with his uh, team that no one cares about and throw this in there. <laughs> See, I hadn't considered that uh, wrestle or that SummerSlam '92 connection. That's pretty uh, coincidental and funny. Um, you know, I've kind of almost come to the defense of the build. Now, granted, I personally, I haven't been watching that much AEW the past six months. And the the main reason why is because every time I turn it on, it just doesn't seem to land for me in terms of my sensibilities, what I favor in wrestling, as opposed to like some of the earlier years of AEW. So I've been a little bit out of the loop, but pretty much from what I've been, you know, I still keep up with the storylines and like this all revolves around um, Don Callis and him trying to court Jericho to come into his group. And um, ultimately he extended an offer for Jericho to join his family. And he thought Jericho wasn't going to say yes. And Jericho did say yes. And then it came out, you know, during that segment that he had a, already like painted that he already commissioned this painting with a severed head of uh, Chris Jericho to be painted. Jericho was offended by it. And, it, and then it came to pass that like callous basically was like, well, I thought you weren't going to join. <laughs> and then, um, and you know, in the fallout of that with the attack and everything, suddenly uh, basically uh, Osprey comes out and attacks Jericho. And I've seen people say this doesn't make sense. And to me, this makes total sense. I'm not saying I love the booking, but it's logical to me because they've already established on screen that Don Callis and Will Ospreay have a tenuous working relationship going back to the all-in build with Kenny Omega. And there's always kind of been this like sort of, you know, quasi alliance between those two. So to me, I think it makes all the sense in the world from a just logical standpoint that if he didn't think Jericho was going to join his group, that he would bring in a hired hand from the outside to do his bidding, you know, as basically like a, a mercenary. Makes sense to me. I don't, but people don't want to hear that. Like, I think that that's logical. Well, I mean, it is logical. And Don Callis is going doing his own build. If you look at Twitter, anytime Will Ospreay has did a move or did anything from a show, Don Callis is replying, oh, you're the best wrestler in the world, and he's really sucking up to him the whole time. Don Callis gave you so many hints that this was coming. If you, let's say you didn't know, you hadn't known as long as I, you know, that they were trying to do this. He tried to give you hints that this Osprey thing was coming, even though we didn't really see it uh, play out on television. And, And that's the thing about AEW. It's like so much of what it does plays out 
everywhere. You know, it doesn't just play out on the five hours on TV. It plays out on BTE. It plays out on online. You can watch like Eddie Kingston and Ortiz's beef started on Twitter. Like they started, Mm -hmm. like they'd have a loss and then they'd be back and forth on Twitter. It started there before it played out on AEW. And it's like, it's a very 2023 way of telling stories but it's also to traditional wrestling fans it's always going to be like oh it should be on tv why isn't this on tv why isn't this on tv and it's just like not everybody in the audience is just tv you know it's like you have to people with the short tension spans you have to address them on their turf so yeah tv is important but social media is just as important like the two-hour video of MJF and Adam Cole's story that they posted on AEW. It's like, yeah, you're, they're not going to put a two-hour video on TV. You're never going to see it. But when you're working at night or you're working out, you want to throw that video on, it's right there. Well, you know, I think the match is still going to deliver at the end of the day. And, you know, like my good friends over at One Nation Radio, we say, don't ever count out Chris Jericho. I think on the big stage, him and... um osprey they're going to have a great match and people are going to really enjoy it and uh you know i am disappointed that as of right now osprey is the only featured new japan talent on the show and the other thing too is like the rumors are out there it seems like you know osprey is not long for the world as it pertains to new japan pro wrestling and is very much being courted by aew and tony khan and there's those individuals who are reporting and stating that you know come january 4th this guy's done with this company is very likely going to aew so i think it also makes sense that he's being featured in such a prominent position here because it's probably going to tony khan land when it's all said and done it's uh it's crazy because you know uh, as an AEW person, you're like, oh, yes, I'm excited Will Ospreay's coming over. Don't get me wrong. But I think Will Ospreay is such an exceptional talent. And one thing he does is he does maintain rivalries and uh, issues on different fronts. I would hate for him to just be AEW. Mm-hmm. Like, he's so talented. He What he does for Ref Pro, what he does in New Japan, working with young people, I want him everywhere. So if he could somehow work out a dual contract with New Japan and AEW, or he has one of those Moxley things where he's allowed to freelance, that's my yeah. that's my uh, that's w- would be my preference on it. I just like don't you know don't cage this bird, let him fly. He, he that's pretty much what I was gonna say. Is like you know look at Moxley. If he wants to travel, he wants to go work other places, the door is probably wide open. Um, One last question before we get into our review from this past week. Uh, We did have a question from Rambo and Slam Pig. He asked, do you believe that we'll ever see Kota Ibushi in a New Japan ring again someday? If not, could you see him working with New Japan Pro Wrestling talent at an AEW show or co-promoted show? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's wrestling. I've learned never to say never. It's just, I mean, that's the way it is. I had Stone Cold walked out on Vince and it's like, Hey, <laughs> Stone Cold, oh, Stone Cold disappointed us. And you're like, Oh, Stone Cold's never wrestling for WWE within like two years. He's the GM of raw or whatever. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's wrestling. Nothing like that with you like Abushi had some stuff to say about, you know, new Japan, but you know, he didn't burn the place down or anything on the way out. You know, say I'm sorry and, you know, let's wrestle. 
Yeah, I mean, um, and who knows? With with Kodobushi, it's really hard to tell. But the the last reports that I saw pertaining to New Japan before he, you know, um, showed up in AEW was that the doors were open. And most of the issues that he had with the company had kind of been put to rest. So I wouldn't be surprised if hypothetically he did come back and work in some capacity or if they did work together um, at like an all in or some other co-promoted event. So, you know, at this point, I don't think that that's outside the realm of possibilities, just like you mentioned, uh, Floyd. But let's move on. Um, Before we jump into the reviews, I did have on the docket for this week final G1 thoughts and stats. And normally at the end of the G1, I usually like to give like a full retrospective on who did what, how they performed, yada, yada, yada. And I didn't get a good chance to do that last week with Chris on the show, just because we recorded so close in proximity to the finals. Uh, As most of you noticed, we dropped an early episode. But I'm going to probably save some of that stuff until next week when Jeremy's on the on the show with me. Hopefully by that point he's already caught up on the G1. But if not, um, we'll we'll kind of go over some of those facts and figures. I did have questions from Rambo and Slam Pig as well as Less Commission regarding the G1 final. Um, I'm going to bump those to next week, and then me and Jeremy can kind of address those. So you guys are not forgotten. We're going to get to them. But, um, uh, Floyd, let's go ahead and jump into this past weekend's um, event. So we had two events emanating from the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the former ECW Arena um, on what was it was saturday was yeah saturday august 19th we had the all-star junior festival 2023 usa and then on sunday night we had impact wrestling x new japan's um multiverse united two for whom the bell tolls and uh we had a slightly higher attendance on the first night for the all-star junior festival at 672 and then just a couple heads less at 665 on sunday night but um let's talk about the all-star junior festival so floyd i know that you um you know you're not at all a stranger to new japan or anything Love like new japan. that yeah <laughs> but um you know a, a lot of your time is spent watching aw and uh um even wwe so i thought this might be a nice chance for you to kind of jump into you know kind of some of this indie bullshit <laughs> that they got going on this weekend what were your overall thoughts of the show and the event and um you know are there any gaps i can fill in for you okay um overall thoughts i really enjoyed it i thought the uh, the junior show is the one i've watched the most i actually watched that over two days um and uh the kevin i can't remember his last name the black guy uh that was oh, kevin knight yeah oh my god came out Big fan. <laughs> I think I'd seen him wrestle once, but as you said, I watch a lot of wrestling. So sometimes I will watch a match and see someone and not really pay attention to how good they are. You know, like, and it'll take me a couple times of seeing them. And uh, yeah, he's really good. Like, really good. I'm like, I, I'm a fan. And then Speedball is one of those person, people that had to grow on me. Like, Jeremy was like, when we went to the, 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 he had that weekend where he killed it. And I was like, hey, he's all right. And then, <laughs> and then Jeremy's like, oh, he's amazing. And then he's like, kind of like the Darby Allen situation. It takes, sometimes it takes me a little longer. 
I come around eventually, but it it, it has to. It's, I'm one of those people. I'm not going to pretend like I like someone because everyone else likes them. You know, because because yeah. you know Gunther. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not. Gonna... <laughs> I, I, I love you, Floyd. There's certain things that me and Floyd just do not agree on, and yeah, no, the Gunther. He doesn't like Gunther. I don't get it. And I, you, but you know what I will do. You know what I will do that most people won't do. I will admit what? I'm the problem. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> when it comes to Gunther, I'm the problem. Everybody else gets it. I don't. I'm okay with that. I can live with that. <laughs> I can live with being not the one on that case. So, uh, do, do you want to hear the funny thing when it comes to um, um, Speedball? I'm like coming down on Speedball <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I now don't get me wrong. Speedball is incredible in ring. Like, in fact, he might even be like a top five guy in the world. But bro, he is so freaking weird and every single time he talks or does a promo he loses like cool points with me to it to the point where i'm like do i even like this dude yeah he cut a promo on uh he cut a promo on the the universe one and i was just like i didn't i, I mean it was pretty straightforward but i was like i, I did he's one of those guys you see him in the ring he's amazing yeah it's like that's 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 where they should stop it you know, it's like <laughs> just 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 wrestle good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's there is nothing wrong with that. It's just like, you know, but I, I he was one of those people. It took me a while on and I'm hoping, you know, in the end, you know, I, I come all the way around on Mr. Speedball. But yeah, I, him and him and that match uh, with Kevin was uh, really I thought I thought they really did a good job working together uh I I like I enjoyed the junior show like way more than I should have yeah I thought that the um the show overall between the two days this was the better show on paper um like if I was going to give match recommendations and advise someone you know what was the better performing show this is the better one um, it was a, a bit longer, I think about an hour longer than the Impact New Japan show, and maybe not quite as much of a breezy viewing experience, but a little bit different vibes, even though they were similar types of shows. This one was a little bit more epic, a little bit longer. The guys had more time to work and a lot more varied um, performers featured i think there was like 33 something wrestlers from like 23 different companies across the world so um kind of gave you a little bit of a flavor from you know whether it's the u.s indie scene or mexico or uh the pro rezu scene they had other you know other companies like ddt and, and noah and stuff and dragon gate uh all kind of represented here so very very cool um Going back to Kevin Knight, who you said that you liked to kind of give you some referendum on him. He is one of, he actually um, was an independent talent. I forget. I think he's based out of like the, I can't recall if it was Texas or the Pacific Northeast or Northwest, something like that. But um, he got picked up by New Japan and um, trained under Shibata in the LA dojo and was featured heavily on the strong brand for a while, just kind of doing that. And then the past uh, like the end of last year, he started coming over to Japan for actual tours, kind of developed this uh, jet setter moniker and started teaming with uh, Kushida and sort of graduated to like, you know, no longer a young lion sort of deal. And now he's sort of just splitting his time between Impact and New Japan. So when he's not working in Japan, he's 
pretty much heavily featured in a favorable way on impact. So uh, still a young guy, but man, he's very, very athletic, very uh, has a lot of charisma and uh, you know, he's making a lot of progress along the way. Yeah. Um, the, the finish, uh, I know we'll get to that, but the finish with Clark Connors, man, dude, I, I geeked out for that finish. It was so good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, just the show in general, uh, uh, yeah, Clark Connor stuck out to me. Um, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, Shun Skywalker, who I've not seen a lot. I think that might have been my third time seeing him wrestle. Um, yeah, I he uh, he stuck out to me. He was a weird character. He just had a weird thing about him, and I dug it. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. See, I can't. I couldn't speak too much about the Shun thing because I'm not the deepest. Uh, you know, Dragon Gate head. I don't know everything about what goes on over there, but I do know that he was like an ace type character for them and um, was had a totally different sort of attitude and persona until recently. Like he sort of turned into this like kind of crazy, uh, malicious, like dark character. Whereas before he was like, I think like your prototypical like Lucha Rezu high flyer. So, and there was a lot of character work in the match that, him and where he teamed with Bushi and they took on Matt Seidel and Yo in the opener. And, uh, you know, him and, uh, him and, uh, Bushi had a lot of, uh, just miscommunication and issues teaming on that night. Yeah. Uh, and it was, you know, they tried to do the LIJ thing with him and he's like, no, you know, and it was just like, then he, uh, Bushi missed it. Someone at the end. Right. Right. Well, Shun Shun tr- uh, tried to miss either Matt or Yo. I can't recall, and ended up inadvertently missing Bushi. Yes, okay. they took the loss, and then at the very end of the the match, afterwards, Bushi, you know, paid Shun Skywalker back by by shooting the black mist in his face. Dude, <laughs> yes, no, that and that was very entertaining. Uh, they uh, they I I just thought that was really well done. I could you could either. I can see, like, if you're just going traditional storytelling, you can go two ways. You can go, like, Shun and Bushi end up hating each other and fighting for, like, uh, a long time. Or they could just become partners because they respect each other because they're both kind of weird. So, no, I, I could see it going both ways because it's like, right now you got the Bushi who just, just wanted to be Shun's friend, you know? And Shun's like, no, <laughs> no, I don't want to be anybody's friend. And I was like, I like I, I liked it. I just thought it played off very well. I don't, I don't know if it's ever going anywhere, but they set up a lot of possibilities right there. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see because um, there was a lot of teaming up and, you know, um, connections with one another uh, with these different characters from varying different places all over the, the world. And you don't know if they're going to be able to work together again, if any of these stories are going to, uh, you know, if they're just kind of isolated to this one show or, or if there's going to be working relationships opened up. We have seen a little bit of that blossom out of the original um, all-star junior festival that was, you know, that took place over in Tokyo. So, um, you know, one thing of note with this opener between, uh, Matt Seidel and yo taking on Bushi and shooting Skywalker, Matt, who, you know, full disclosure is my trainer in professional wrestling. Um, he hasn't worked for new Japan in any capacity since, you know, since he had that, uh, those legal issues over in Japan revolving around, you know, being busted for THC oil. 
Um, so, you know, it's been kind of tenuous as to whether or not he was going to return to the company in any way, even like working for the strong brand, but you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And, um, you know, I thought him and yo had a pretty good team together and, uh, who knows? Maybe this could open the door for for Matt to get back to uh, Shinihan. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of weird with Yo. Like when, back in the Arapongi 3K uh, days, he was my favorite of the two, and I honestly thought we would get more from him. But uh, I do what I, I I did love what I saw from him and Sidel. So if they wanted to start teaming up, I would definitely be signed up for that one. Yeah, I thought that opener was very good. A lot of high flying, a lot of good character work from Bushi and uh, Shun Skywalker. And uh, Matt and Yo ended up picking up the win. Eight minutes, 55 seconds. Great way to open the show. Prior to that, there was a buy-in match. And I thought it was weird that they called their pre-show the buy-in. Did you notice that? I did not watch the pre-show. Uh, I realized but, too but late. Even just but that yeah, but it, the buy-in, yeah, that's kind of weird. I like, I dig it. I mean, because that's what you're trying to do. You know, in, in any pre-show, that is the goal, is to get people to see this get excited and buy it. So you're trying to get them to buy in. So I did like that name. I just always, uh, I always just associate that, that with AEW. AEW. I was surprised yeah. that they did that. But um, on the opener, they had a, a eight minute, 20 minute match between Vinny Pacifico and Goldie. Um, couple guys on the independent scene that they wanted to give a little bit of uh, love to Goldie picked up the win against Vinny Pacifico. Um, then on the main card, we jump into the all-star junior festival usa tournament and we had two semifinal matches back to back um kevin knight defeated clark connors in nine minutes and 58 seconds to advance in the tournament and then right after that uh speedball mike bailey defeated francesco akira 13 minutes and 31 seconds i thought both these matches were pretty good uh specifically the mike bailey francesco akira match i thought that was one of the best matches on the entire show and really like was just top-notch wrestling um but kevin knight ended up beating clark connors with a small package um or maybe it was a crucifix i can't recall then mike bailey beat francesco akira with the flamingo driver to set up a main event at the end of the evening between kevin knight and uh and mike bailey what did you think of these two matches here floyd Okay, uh first match that's what i was talking about that was kevin knight uh clark connor i was Def, I love the finish of the match. I thought they worked really well together. I love Clock Chrono's, like new attitude. I know it's not new uh, to people that watch New Japan every week, but as to me, you know, I think this is my maybe his second match thing under really under his persona, uh, and I really I really dug it. Uh, you know, especially afterwards. You know, when you're doing a tournament, you you gotta have some uh, you gotta have some uh, you know where some what is it adversity built into one of the wrestlers so him attacking uh kevin knight and akira is one of those people he is so good like to me every time i watch him i come away thinking god he's really really good but then like a day later i completely forget he exists so it's like he's exceptional and i thought this match was really good but I don't know, like, nothing sticks out about him, you know, to me, you know. And it's just like, I don't know if that that's on him or that's on me, but I really did enjoy the match. Yeah, I think that um, as time's gone on for viewers of New Japan Pro Wrestling, Francesco Akira, it, it was very much that way in the very beginning when he first got with the company. But 
he's sort of kind of found his voice and his persona uh, teaming with TJP in the United, in the, yeah, in the United empire. And um, definitely sort of has developed like this fiery foul mouth, you know, kind of Rudo sort of character. So um, he's definitely making headway in the junior division. I, I expect him to be a future IWGP junior champion down the line. And um, yeah, him and Speedball had a fantastic match. The only thing I didn't like about the Clark Connors Kevin Knight match is I thought Kevin Knight kind of got eaten up a little bit by by Clark, but I guess that's probably by design since he was going over. Um, they kind of needed to make uh, Connors look strong, but um, I, I don't know if I loved Kevin Knight you know, kind of just getting eaten up and then winning with a, uh, a roll up. But one of the big stories coming out of the match was that Kevin Knight's arm was attacked and injured by uh, Clark Connors. And um, post match, he was attacked. Um, and it was very like, you know, they were kind of selling it all night as to he's being checked out by the doctors. It wasn't really certain as to whether or not he was even going to be allowed to compete in the main event, you know? So that was something that was sort of a through line throughout the show. Yeah, I really did enjoy that storyline. I, I think that's important to have in tournaments because especially this was only like a two-leg tournament. You want to build up some type of, you know, like adversity to the end of the show. So he coming in hurt. It just, it to me, it made him, even though I know it was a story, it made him look so much more impressive in that, uh, uh, in the finals because, he, I mean, he sold the shit out of it. He did a great job. Yeah. So we move on the next match of the evening. We had six man tag team action as Rich Swan, Ryazuki Taguchi and the DKC. They defeated the team of Jack Cartwheel, Real One, the former Enzo Amore and Starboy Charlie. And um, a lot of the discussion and kind of controversy around the show and around this match was uh, sort of developing a few days prior to the show actually taking place because, um, you know, they, they announced the show, they announced the talent lineups and everything and, um, you know, put it online, put it, you know, and everything like that and sold all the tickets to the event. And then a couple days out before the show actually took place, they like kind of quietly put real one into the show. <laughs> and, um, dude, his promo <laughs> seems so out of place in New Japan. There were a lot of fans um, online, especially on Twitter, uh, complaining about his inclusion on the show. Uh, you know, I saw many reports of people asking for and even um, getting refunds because they didn't want to support the show because Real One's, uh, you know, involvement. Um, now, I personally, I don't know if I necessarily would take it that far, but I do think it's interesting that New Japan felt the need to kind of sneak this guy on the show last minute. What did you think, Floyd? I Okay, with that added on, that, that does seem weird that they had to sneak him on there. And I'm just like, if you are sneaking him on here, why is he on the show? You know what I mean? Right. He, I don't, like, I watched the show. I don't feel like he added anything to the show. That promo does not feel like a New Japan or anything promo unless they're screaming uh, about how big their penis is on New Japan. And I just don't know it. <laughs> I don't I guess I don't understand. You know, maybe I don't understand Japanese. It just seemed out of place. It, it felt like that whole promo was from a different show and they just played a video of it during a New Japan show. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, I don't even know, you know, going into the show. 
this wasn't supposed to be technically a New Japan show. It was supposed to be like a, a, a United States produce show that just, you know, involved New Japan's production and everything, but was technically its own thing. And But then all throughout the production, um, the commentators kept calling it a New Japan show, and then now it's showing up as a New Japan show on Cage Match. So I, I don't know. It's something me and Jeremy are going to have to kind of talk about and discuss whether we think this is actually in the uh, the, the official canon or not. But, um, yeah, they, they brought Real One in, and they gave him a mic and gave him an opportunity to talk, and that's sort of what he's known for. And, you know, truth be told, I didn't necessarily think that his promo was bad, but this was the wrong audience on the wrong night. They did not, they were not receptive to anything he said. And I kind of think they got to him because he sort of started like, uh, I don't know, just his tone and tenor. Like he, he was off. They, I think they threw him off. And I think he knew that there was going to be kind of a hostile reaction to him. And you kind of um, compare that to like, say an MJF. Like, I don't think that this crowd could have got to an MJF like that, but they definitely got to Enzo. Yeah, I mean, they didn't want to hear him. They didn't want him there. It was like, in no way did he want him. It wasn't, it wasn't good heat. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've heard the go away heat. That's exactly what this was. They literally just didn't want him there. This show is supposed to be like a showcase for juniors. It's, I mean, is what is Enzo? Is he a junior? Is he what is he? He was out of place. That's what he was. I I have no problem with what he said. Thought the promo was whatever. It's just, it was Enzo promo. It was the OG Zo, excuse me, promo. I mean, but no, this wasn't the place for it. Now, uh, one thing I will just throw out there, I'm not going to be, I, I'm not going to litigate the entire Enzo situation and everything like that. I know that New Japan has gotten a bad rap in the past couple of years, especially New Japan Strong for, you know, amongst other things. They, they, they brought in Marty Skrull. Um, you know, after all the controversy with him and then they ended up having to, because it was a pre-tape, they ended up nixing it and it never made air. Um, but that was one thing that happened. And then they brought Chris Dickinson back, even though there was the allegations and the ongoing case with the, uh, domestic abuse and everything like that. So there's been a couple of different, you know, questionable things. They brought Enzo in and, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong, Floyd, and I didn't look into this. I didn't do research for the show, but I I don't even think it was necessarily a thing where it was like he got accused and then it got dropped. I Wasn't it a thing where he got accused and then it was it ended up being completely, if I recall, it ended up like not being true at all? Yeah, from what I understand, it wasn't true at all. Okay, and maybe that's not the case. I don't know. But one thing I will say, I think people's hearts are in the right place. They want to be upset about it. And, you know, I'm not going to tell you to like Enzo Amore. Um, I, I think New Japan should have learned their lesson about bringing this guy in based on, you know, the, the reaction that him and Cass got uh, back at Madison Square Garden on the ROH show when they tried to do that that run-in with the, uh, the G.O.D. situation. That was, you know, a disaster. And this kind of was a little bit disastrous. But putting all that aside, it was like the only to me, the only low light of the show was him <laughs> being there. It was just like as I was just like, I like OG Zoe and I hope no one cancels me online. I like him every time. Right. I, I, you know, he has to me a place in wrestling. You know, I, I do think it is. This was not the place when you try to force someone into, you know, put the square peg in a round hole, you know. 
that this this can happen. Sometimes it can create good conflict, but this one was like, like you could have killed your audience. I mean, I'm glad they got it back into the rest of the show, but there's a good chance they could have just, you know, kind of checked out. Well, I understand people, if they don't want to see him, I get that. And I understand people being upset with New Japan for kind of like being a little underhanded in the way they brought him in. And maybe that's tone deaf on New Japan's part. I, I agree. Here's where I don't totally agree is like, there are a lot of those same fans that watch the, the product regularly. And there's still people from speaking out that are involved in this company that we like have pretty irrefutable proof that they were doing some shady underhanded shit, but nobody cares. But Enzo was involved in some sort of situation years ago where he was accused of something and got, you know, like, I don't know what the correct word is not. I don't want to say acquitted, but like, it was proven to my understanding that he didn't even do the things that he was, you know, uh, accused of. And you have fans online saying like accused rapist Enzo Amore is on the new Japan show. And I'm like, dog, we got like some people in the company that are probably pedophiles (laughs) and you don't say anything about that. I just think if you're going to come with that energy, you kind of have to be, you know, you have to come equal with it, you know, and you have to be consistent across the board. Unfortunately, that's unfortunately not how the wrestling or any world works. If they like you, you're going to get forgiven. If they don't (laughs) like you, it doesn't matter what you did. He could have, he could have broken, borrowed a pencil and broke it. And people were like, let's get him out of wrestling because they didn't like him in the first place. Enzo kind of Enzo was one of those people as a character. You either loved him or you hated him. I loved him when he was when he was in two hundred five live when he was all that stuff where people might not have liked him. I loved him, but so you know when I it was like he got the charge and I was like and then they said you know this didn't happen. I mean it wasn't even acquitted. It was like this just never happened. Charges dropped. Nothing. Well, uh, nothing went forward, and it was like okay. Okay, Enzo's back. And then he just, like, people have fought against him coming back, like, hard. And it, it kind of sucks. And he's not really a person that, sh- like, comes out and shows remorse or appeals to people to try to make them like him. He kind of wants you not to like him. He kind of wants you to think he's a dirtbag. But, you know. With those two things together, yeah, it, it, it's making it hard on him. And the whole idea that he thought he was like the biggest star ever. If you if you hear him talk, he was the next rock. Well, I mean, when when he was wrestling, I mean, this is just my opinion. I thought <laughs> maybe I'm being a little uh, uh, crazy here. I I thought he was going to be like a future world champion. I thought he had a big, you know, um, you know, future ahead of him just because of how well he could talk, but. Um, Hey, if I'm wrong in my recollection of what happened with the whole thing with him, my apologies. Like I said, I haven't done a lot of research here, but I just think that the outrage in this particular instance doesn't match when there's other people in the company that you could kind of, uh, you know, you could put the exact same logic to. As for the match itself, Rich Swan, Taguchi, and DKC come out on top. I thought the, the, the match itself was pretty good. I don't know why Starboy Charlie is wearing the the gene overalls nowadays but uh you know i guess he's he's with uh all that kind of like indie hokey shit but um a lot of comedy here fun match hard work from everybody crowd wasn't into it 
but we move on. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was like, yeah, it was just, it was kind of there. And I was like, man, Enzo could have got shot and they would have cheered. <laughs> After that, we had the Lucky Dip eight-man tag team match. Dude, this thing, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was like, this was like cool. I was like, oh, usually a lot of stuff comes off kind of hokey in wrestling when they try different things like this. I thought it was well executed. So uh, you can tell them what it was or whatever. Well, the deal is we had um, eight men, Alex Shelley, who's the current um, Impact World Champion, Chris Bay, Kosei Fujita, and Robbie Eagles of TMDK, Ace Austin, Cheeseburger, TJP, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru. And these eight men were going to be put into an eight-man tag team match. The problem is we didn't know who would be teaming with who. So essentially the idea is every single one of these individuals would pick, uh, basically draw straws and end up on a random team. So that meant that like, for instance, Ace Austin and um, Chris Bay, they ended up on opposite ends of, of the spectrum here and they are tag team, you know, partners in the bullet club. And then you had like, uh, Kosei Fuji and Robbie Eagles from TMDK. They weren't sure if they, they ended up on the same tag uh, team, but they were, you know, they weren't sure if that was going to be the case, but ultimately we ended up with a situation where Alex Shelley, Chris Bay, Kosei Fujita and Robbie Eagles, they defeated Ace Austin, Cheeseburger, TJP, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru 17 minutes. And I thought this match was very good. I thought the, the action was very, you know, wild, a lot of high flying, a lot of comedy spots. And, you know, one of the big um, stories throughout the match was the fact that Austin and Bay vowed that they wouldn't fight one another. And they, and they, st- they stood true to that story. They, they did not um, attack or fight one another at all during the entirety of the match. Shout out to Enrique Cabani, Faze Scott, and uh, the drama uh, king. They did a great job of telling the story as it went along, so you didn't get confused. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, this kind of stuff is can can be hokey if you don't have the announced team to keep it together. I thought they did a great job keeping it together, letting you know what's happening. Each story, getting it out quick, not interrupting the action. I, I was like, after I watched it, I was like, man, this was a great, this was a, fu- a fun match, but it was made better about the announcing that made it work, and it didn't just come off as some stupid indie thing. Yeah, I thought the uh, the announced team was fantastic all night. Every you know, and in, in fact, every time I've heard Veda Scott on commentary, I thought she's yeah, really, I- really, really good. Every time um, I hear her, I wonder how she didn't get the full time job. Get get a full time job with AEW. I'm just like she's really exceptional at it. She's very good. <laughs> um, but then we move on. The next match of the evening, we had a five man scramble match where uh, Soberano Junior of CMLL he defeated Dragon Kid from Dragon Gate, Fugaz from CMLL, Casey Navarro, the current reigning. Uh, Warrior Wrestling World Champion and Leo Rush, seven minutes and 15 seconds. And, uh, you know, the funny thing here, uh, Floyd, is like on, on paper, that sounds really cool, a five way match. But then you think about it, there's five guys in the ring and it's just like tornado rules. It's pretty chaotic. <laughs> yeah, oh, it, this was an absolutely crazy sprint. And it was like, you know, if you ask me one minute after the match to tell me, tell you what I saw, I'm like, I, I don't really think I, I mean, even now I'm like trying to think about like what I saw so much happened that it kind of just blended in together. Uh, yeah. One thing I do always notice when I see him, 
I'm like, I, you know, he can have all his, you know, his other stuff. Leo Rush, when he's in the ring, oh my God, it is just something to behold. He's yeah, just I think he, so good. He kind of <laughs> needed to be the glue that held this together in a certain way because I don't think Sobrano Jr. and Fugaz working that Lucha Libre style were as adept at um, being able to communicate with like Dragon Kid and uh, that whole thing. So I felt like Leo Rush sort of held things together here. A little surprised that Casey Navarro, who is a, a champion for Warrior Wrestling, was the one who took the, the pinfall loss here. But I feel like because the match was so crazy and was such a sprint, they had to kind of keep it short, seven minutes and 15 seconds. So it was fun for a while it lasted, but Soberano did pick up the win here. And then that brings us to the eighth match of the night where the team of El Desperado teaming with DDT's Mao, they defeated the East Coast, or I'm sorry, the East West Express, Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne representing GCW, 19 minutes and 14 seconds. And uh, Floyd, I thought that this was one of the very best matches of the night. Okay. Jordan Oliver, he's he's a Florida boy, right? I don't think so. I mean, he's wrestled in Florida. I've seen him, but uh, I think he's an East Coast guy. Because I'm going to ask a tough question. Why is he not signed? <laughs> like, that dude's really good. <laughs> that came out you know, of his match. And he, I was, he, he wasn't that. I mean, okay, I don't want to say he wasn't that good. Obviously, coming from somebody that's not that good themselves. <laughs> Um, he is somebody who has progressed and improved quite a lot in the last year or so. Yes. Oh, okay. Cause I was like, I watched this match with him in the game and I was like, they should have been signed as a tag team. Like they are really good. I mean, I mean, Nick Wayne's Nick Wayne. I'm like, right. that's like, like the year before that's literally like the consistent name that I heard was killing everything. He's going to get signed. And then when he came to AEW, he hasn't really you know, disappointed in any way. But Jordan Oliver, the last time I saw him, he did a, a a show like during the middle of COVID, you know, it was like a show in Texas, you know, they didn't care. And I, I saw him, I met him, you know, and he wrestled the match. I thought he was fine, but man, he, yeah, he found something in those, in these few years since COVID. And I was just like, Okay, yeah, I'm I'm calling him. I'm like, I don't know if you give him a full time or or you just like keep your eye on him. But it, dude looks he's he's kind of he's definitely added on weight, so he's bigger. He's very fluid. He's big. He's, I mean, I guess handsome. I don't know. I don't know how that works. You know, that's that, that's exactly mm-hmm. exactly it. He's added weight. He's gotten smoother in the ring, and he's worked a lot more. Um, high caliber wrestlers over the past couple year year and a half to where he's really learned a lot of great wrestling lessons and really just progressed as a performer before he was kind of like a skinny kind of you know shindy sort of guy and i think he i just think he's gotten a lot lot better i i think i haven't seen him and nick wayne as a tag team too much although i've heard that they're good but man um you know desperado i i haven't seen too much of mal i've heard of him i understand his reputation but I thought him and Desperado had a great team as well. And this he's, match, it, this reminded me really of, well together. Yeah. It, it reminded me sort of like, a, I don't know, like the rockers taking on like the Orient express or something like that. Like yeah. it just sort of had that kind of vibe to it. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. Um, Jordan, Jordan and um, Nick kind of give me 
I uh, I know Jordan's way bigger than the other two, but uh, the Paul London and Brian Kendrick tag team, they gave me that kind of vibe. Uh, and I, I really dug it. And, um, yeah, was it, uh, you said Desperado? Like, like I'm Yes, getting, Desperado. Yeah, all the mask. I Brain doesn't work this way. And, um, yeah, I thought they did really well. I loved it. Uh, I liked the ending of it. And I uh, really, in this one, I really liked how uh, they put together that it would be an upset over these veterans because mm-hmm. you know when i'm looking when you kind of look out you're like oh east west express you know they look more like a tag team more together but they pushed it that you know they were giving the old college try and they looked really good and it was like at the end of the match as it come in i come in not really caring who wins i was really pulling for it and when they lost they had that little oh moment <laughs> like they there lost. were some uh there were some great near falls down the yeah, stretch a lot yeah. of times where i thought east west was done and they kept fighting from underneath ultimately desperado did hit the pinche loco for the one two three win yes uh be interesting to see if him and mao team together again in the future and it's also interesting like you mentioned with nick wayne joining G- uh aw i wonder if jordan oliver has a through line to get there at some point as well yeah I, but uh well, yeah I thought they this do, match was phenomenal. The, they do the junior tag thing at the end of the year right yeah um yeah. we don't know exactly when that it hasn't been announced yeah, but last year they did it in like December along with the world tag league. So I've, I'm kind of hoping they do that again this year. And who knows, maybe yeah. Nick and maybe Jordan. Like, yeah, yeah. I, would, I would be all of, I mean, as far as uh, a W you have to look at Nick Wayne as a, you know, a long-term project. Cause he's so young, you know, don't, don't want to push him too quick. Let right. him go for a few months to go wrestle in that tournament. Only is going to do anything to make him better. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. So that takes us to the next match and maybe the most, uh, <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people talk shit about this match. Some people are excited. It kind of depends on what your, uh, uh, taste in pro wrestling is, but the ninth match of the night was the Philly cheese steak cup three-way ladder tag team match sponsored by, uh, Pat's, um, Pat's cheesesteak. And um, we had the team of Doki and Lowrider from Texas. They defeated Blake Christian and Master Wato, as well as the team of Hiromu Takahashi and Rocky Romero, 19 minutes and 27 seconds. And uh, they said it was a cup, but there was no cup involved. At the top of the ladder was a giant bag of cheesesteaks. And, um, you know, essentially, whoever climbed to the top of the ladder and pulled down the bag of cheesesteaks won this contest for their... uh, for their team and as uh, ridiculous as all of that sounds the match itself still delivered this philly cheesesteak match took hot dog and a handshake to a whole leather level you got to wrestle for your dinner i thought that was <laughs> re- i thought that was really cool uh i you know uh you know i'm going to philly next year for mania and so i'm really excited to have a patch cheesesteak i don't know if i would fight five other men and climb up a ladder to get one though I mean, well, maybe I would, after I taste it, it'll change my mind. But <laughs> yeah, you know, um, Pat's is okay. Um, I mean, I forget what the there's Pat's, and then the other there's like two that are right there next to each other that are very famous. But um, you know, they're kind of like uh, they're sort of like the the places that like out of towners go, but locals don't really eat there anymore. You know what I mean? 
Absolutely. And that's what I was telling uh, when Gene Jr. was talking about it, because he's been there before. I was like, I kind of want to go to the like the hood grimy ones that they like they tell tourists not to go to. That's where I want to get my feeling. But I'm going to try the, you know, the big change, the world famous ones. But I want the I want the grimy ones. I'm like, I want the ones where you only got like 10. You only got 10 bucks, you know, and you're only eating one more meal today. This is where I'm going because I know it's going to be amazing. I want that place. Yeah, it's been a while since I've um, been to Philly. I lived in uh, Cherry Hill for a little bit there a couple of years ago. But uh, yeah, the two famous ones, it's Pat's King of Steaks, which they were the sponsors for this match, which is pretty funny. And then uh, Gino Steaks, and they're like literally catty corner from one another. But um, if you were to go there, the two that I'd recommend, um, this one's also kind of like a quote unquote chain, but I just love it, is uh, Jim's on South. Jim's is incredible. I love Jim's, but the one that most people are going to tell you is the best is uh, uh, D'Alessandro's. D'Alessandro's steak is like pretty much for most people in Philly. You know, I would say like I've heard that as being the best more so than any anywhere else. That's where a lot of people like their, to get their cheesesteaks from. But um, in any case, the match itself, uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting just because you had. Hiromu from LIJ teaming up with Rocky Romero from Chaos, and they were uh, calling their their one-night-only tag team the Cheesesteak Brothers. And it is no secret that Hiromu was the original brain um, child for the All-Star Junior Festival in Tokyo, and that Rocky sort of partnered with him to kind of book and create this event. So it was sort of like the two bookers uh, teaming up to, to be in this match together. And then you had Wato and Blake Christian, who've never teamed together uh, in the match, and then Doki teaming with Lowrider, who I'd never even heard of Lowrider. I guess he's uh, an independent wrestler from, uh, you know, the Texas independent scene. But, um, you know, surprisingly, Doki and Lowrider picked up the unlikely victory here. I heard of Lowrider a few weeks ago. He was in a match. He was supposed to have a, like a mega big match with Brian Keith, but I've literally never seen the person wrestle. And that was the first time I heard him. And then the next thing I know, I mean, he's on this show. So I was like, okay, maybe I should be paying more attention because you know local wrestling or whatever. But uh, yeah, I I, uh, I dug I dug this match. Uh, I've always Blake Christian's one of those people, all hard or whatever. He is. Uh, like one to me, one of the more fun people to watch wrestle. Like he just goes so hard uh, every match. Uh, I don't know if he qualifies for Rich Lada's uh, not going back award or whatever, but <laughs> he goes so hard in every match. He he wrestles every match. Like oh, I, you, when he wrestles, you think he's retiring after the match because he wrestles that hard. Well, I think part of the deal too, and I, he's actually the current reigning GCW World Champion as well, but um. Yeah. Part of the deal there is he's turned heel recently. Watto's super baby face, so they're kind of an unlikely pairing. Yes, Watto got busted open at some point in this match. He was bleeding like out of the side of his head or out of you know the corner of his eye. Hard to tell. It looked like he got uh, cut you know hard way. And then um, a lot of high flying from everybody here. Um, but again, the the big thing, Doki and Lowrider, the unlikely underdog black horse team, they pick up the victory 19 minutes and 27 seconds. Uh, you know, one of the, the notable things is if this is considered a NJPW, you know, canon event, it's one of the few ladder matches in the history of that company because there's so few ladder matches that take place in New Japan. 
Um, so that was pretty cool. I, you know, I'm a little ladder matched out myself, but I thought that this one was still pretty good. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am uh, like street fight, street fight out right now. I'm just like, <laughs> there's just been too many. I'm just like, man, can we go like oh, like two weeks without a, a, a no holds barred max? Uh, so no, no. But it was like, dude. <laughs> I, I remember last week I was like, can we go one week without it? And then they announced the Texas Chainsaw match, and I was like, <laughs> I'm just giving up. I'm just like, it's just. They don't feel special anymore. And ladder matches, I don't think I've I like I've always enjoyed a good ladder match. Uh it's like I, do I want one every week? Absolutely not. I, I always think with stipulations matches, they're better when you build to them and the ladder is a character in the match as opposed to just something. But this is an all star show. Throw a ladder match in there. So yeah. I really did enjoy that. Well, you know, the funny thing is we there were so many people that we're previewing and we didn't really do a preview for this event. The timing just didn't line up, but there's so many people talking a lot of shit about this event and this match in particular and kind of the hokiness of it and how this isn't new Japan and yada, yada, yada. And then you, you watch the match. It's enjoyable, you know? And for, like you said, uh, an all-star show, it's fine every now and again to do something that's a little bit of, you know, out of pocket. And uh, I thought this was fine. I thought it was a good showcase for Lowrider and Doki. And, uh, you know, we did have a couple questions here. Hawaiian Punch BB asked, do you think Hiromu was unable to get his eyeball coat past customs? And if so, how do you think Wato was able to get his best of the super Ju- juniors trophy past customs? <laughs> <laughs> So they uh, they just brought it along with uh, they brought it along with the ring stuff. That's how the trophy got in. I guess Hiromu didn't. Uh, he wasn't privy to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stuck in his jacket. <laughs> and then um, he also asked. He said, "Do all your friends know the low rider? Is the low rider a little higher?" <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, anytime I hear low rider, George Lopez. He 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 is to me. He has taken that. That's his theme song, you know. Because so it's just like when people make a lowrider joke, and I'm like, is he sponsored by George Lopez? Is this this going on? Thought he was going to pop up. So we move on to the main event of the evening: the All Star Junior USA Tournament Finals. As Speedball Mike Bailey defeated Kevin Knight, 19 minutes and 53 seconds. I thought this was an excellent match probably match of the night and um, seems to also be, you know, that's what a lot of people kind of uh, feel as well. You're looking on cage match. It's the highest rated match of the evening at 8.29 and um, great. I thought that this was maybe Kevin Knight's best match to date. Well, I'm glad that's the, like I said, I came away thinking this dude was amazing after the night. So I guess I had good reason. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, yeah. it's like, I've only seen you three times. And one of the matches I saw you in was your best match ever. So no, I thought uh, his selling, his movement, that hope spot trying to go for the DDT. I thought that was just perfectly done. I thought this match was perfectly put together. Uh, Mike uh, Bailey, I don't, I don't think he's a heel, right? Right. But he kind of played the heel kind of dick role in this match because yeah. it's like you know if you're trying to be the over the top baby like super baby face good guy, you don't just kick the dude with the injured arm right in the arm like dude whatever I don't care if you're hurt and I thought that was I just thought that was great. 
it, it made you like, even though Kevin Knight was the kind of the bigger guy, it made you really feel bad for him in that match. I mean, like, like pulling at my like, oh God, Mike Bailey's kind of a dick kind of thing. I thought they did that was a really well told story in this match. Yeah, I thought the story was great. You know, they continued that through line that was mentioned earlier in the evening where Kevin Knight's arm was injured, and that definitely came into play. There's uh, many times where Mike Bailey was uh, taking advantage of that injury, uh, going after submissions, using different maneuvers and holds, striking the arm. Kevin Knight did a great job selling that, just fighting from underneath. The, the, what I, What was notable to me about this match was like about probably – 13 12 13 minutes i thought we were coming to the end like they 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 were really like working it the same way a lot of matches do when you think that the 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 underneath guy is putting up a big fight but he's about to get put away but then he just kept kicking out and then right when i thought it was over it wasn't and he came back and then he started mounting a nut, like a second comeback later in the match. And I was like, holy crap, like we still got a lot of time left on the clock. And uh, it, it basically took Mike Bailey hitting him uh, with the, uh, the the flipping top rope sent on knees. And then uh, the Flamingo driver to totally, totally put him away, which is like, that's his like, you know, that's his ultimate, you know. The one wing angel, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's not just that. It's like that whole entire sequence. Of yeah. No, no. He hit him with the double D move. Driver, and then, also hitting the double D. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was like the perfect way to end somebody that was fighting with so much heart. It's like you're not going to my my uh, normal move is not going to finish you. I have to destroy you. Yeah. So um, Kevin Knight looked great in defeat. Mike Bailey wins. Uh, he cuts a promo. He asks for the mic. He uh, calls out Hiromu Takahashi and says, you know, essentially that he beat him during the best of the Super Juniors earlier in the year. Now he's won this tournament. He'd like to formally challenge him to a title match down the line. Hiromu agrees. Everybody from the back comes out. They all take pictures and we go off. So yeah, uh, they all sign the ring, Matt. I wonder if they're going to sell that or whatever. That was pretty cool. Very, very cool moment. Great show. And we're off. And then just 24 hours later, that brings us to Impact Wrestling, New Japan's Multiverse United 2, For Whom the Bell Tolls. One of the longest, unnecessarily long names of a, of a wrestling show I've ever heard in my entire life. Don't know why it had to be that long. But um, on the show, uh, they had a countdown. And they didn't call it the, the buy-in. They called it the countdown show. Yeah. Uh, we we had Heath, Joe Hendry, and Yuya Uemura. They defeated the team of Rocky Romero and six or nine. That's Master Wato and uh, Rizuki Taguchi. Ten minutes and nineteen seconds. Um, MJ does PR did ask us. He says, "If you were Gato, when meaning what tour and how would you debut Uemura?" So Floyd, um, how familiar are you with Uemura? And um, you know, what what are you thinking as far as bringing him back into the fold? Well, I, I I watched the match, of course, and uh, he's kind of changed since I've last seen him as far as his look and all that stuff, and I thought that was really cool. As far as bringing him back, um, you know, you know, uh, you want you want the big moment, you know, you know, yeah. you want the big moment. So you know, uh, they do uh, a pay. For, they I don't know what the, the big event. What is what that's called? What's their next big event? It's, well, the like, next big one is uh, it's going to be Destruction, yeah. formerly known as King of Pro Wrestling. Yeah, and then you know the next really big event is Wrestle Kingdom. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like destruction or something. And he seems to be leaning face, right? Well, you know, right now he's working face, but you, you know just when you're coming know. back, yeah. Uh, right. No, yeah, I feel like if Ta- Takahashi, who beats or whatever the person they wrestles at destruction, you know, he he rolls up. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc no in the tax i i I like when they come back heel i really do like in my uh, my uh experience with new japan since about 2007 16 yeah, I I prefer when the young people come back heels. I think it helps establish them. You can turn them face sooner or later. But like when Jay White came, oh my god, the switchblade! Oh my god, I was like, I don't even know who they're talking about. But all leading up to it, I just wanted to know who he was. And so they could do. I don't know if they need to do that exact thing, but you know, come back. You know, come back and be mean. Well, you know, the thing with Yumora is he's in that same class and group as Narita, Umino, and Suji. And those three guys were recently labeled prior to the G1. They were labeled the new three musketeers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I remember that. And Yumora's, in my opinion, and in, in, and in the opinion of a lot of wrestling fans, um, maybe going to be the actual guy that comes out of that group as the true ace of the company. Yet he's still on excursion. He's still primarily just working in impact. And everyone's kind of wondering, when is he coming back? I did notice in this match that he has the long hair now, which he hasn't, you know, he'd had kind of grown out hair, but now it's getting long. And I'm wondering why they've done that. And one of the big things is coming out of the G1, they didn't necessarily establish any one of those three returning lions above one another. They were all kind of at the same level, all sort of looking to break out. If I was New Japan and I was going to bring in Yumura, I would bring him back and have him. I would push him. I'd push him in a way that I didn't push the other guys. And, you know, I think it's interesting that you mentioned Floyd, maybe bring him back as a heel because that's the one thing they didn't do with any of those guys. All three of them, they kind of brought them back as just like either baby faces or sort of quasi, you know, nebulous, you know, just, you know, a blank slate. They didn't really establish them as anything. If I was going to bring him back, I don't know if I'd say bring him back and have him beat Okada or bring him back, have him win the world title. I think I would do something a little bit more impactful and I would bring him in as a heel. And you know what I would, if, if I wanted to establish a new heel and give him the rub and really do something that was meaningful, you know what I would do? What would you do? I'd have him go after Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yes. I mean, and not only would I have him go after Hiroshi Tanahashi, 
I'd have him fuck up Hiroshi Tanahashi, and I'd have him beat him. Yeah. Clean, 100% clean, dominate him, and put him out to pasture. That's what I'd do. And that would be amazing. Yeah. That you could awesome. you can do that anytime. Whenever you're ready, maybe like maybe at destruction, you bring him back, you have him attack the guy, and then at Wrestle Kingdom, it's lights out. <laughs> and then and then and a star is born. <laughs> oh man. Um Moving on uh, along the show, we had another countdown match. The Impact Digital Media champion Kenny King defeated Yoshinabu Kenemaru six minutes and 52 seconds. Um, not much to say there. The match was very good. I thought Kenemaru has had a resurgence lately and looked good against Kenny King, but Kenny King picks up the win here. Now, Floyd, you said you kind of skimmed through the show. You didn't watch it the whole way through that sort of thing, correct? Yeah, I did skim through this one. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I was gonna say I'm going to be pretty. I'm pretty. I'm gonna be kind of useless as far as deep thoughts on <laughs> on the show because I saw the. I saw. I mean, I, I made sure I got the results and all that kind of stuff. But as far as deep thoughts on the work of the match, I'm not gonna really have. That's fine. We won't do a deep dive. Um, jumping into the actual show, there was a scramble match to to start the show off. Chris Sabin defeated Bushi. Frankie Kazarian and El Desperado, as well as Kevin Knight, Mao, Rich Swan, and Yo. So as opposed to the previous night's scramble match, this one had a, a few more bodies, but I think a lot of these guys are more used to working a similar style as opposed to the five man from the night before. Uh, they kept it short still at eight minutes and six seconds. And I think the big story here is that um, they, they told us on commentary that whoever won this match would be looking for either an X division or IWGP junior championship title um, shot. Chris Saban picks up the win here and he is the former X division champion. He was screwed out of his title by a, a recently turned heel Leo rush. So it uh, looks like he's in line for the next X division shot to, you know, regain his title from Leo rush who, who screwed him essentially. And then um, aside from that, too, one thing that's interesting here and, you know, Floyd, you can kind of speak to this um, at this point in the show, we're three matches in and impacts won all three of those matches. And as we continue on, you're going to see that sort of being a trend throughout the night and sort of surprised to see the larger company, New Japan, give this many wins to the smaller company and impact. Now we, we see this sort of thing play out from time to time with like AEW, which makes sense because AEW is the A side and a lot of those, you know, negotiations, but I was surprised to see impact picking up the wins against new Japan here. Dude. I thought this, like I came out with so much more respect for new Japan in this situation. It was just like, no one does this. No one does this. Like when they were doing New Japan and ROH shows, I think every show ultimately ended up even, right? Pretty much, yeah, dude. And it was like they got they got mopped, and it was like you have to. This has to be a story going forward. Tanahashi or Okada or somebody has to get pissed off, and this has to be part of the story. Don't waste this. This was great. Don't waste it. Yeah, I mean, I knew Tanahashi wasn't going to win the world title at the end of the night, so I assumed that meant New Japan would be picking up a lot 
more of the winds throughout the evening. And we see that that's kind of how they treat their partners over in Japan. You look at some of the uh, Noah shows that they've done and they kind of just, you know, big brother them and, and, you know, treat them like little homie. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it was kind of interesting that uh, impact picked up a lot more of the winds on this evening. So, uh, the next match of the night, Eddie Edwards and Moose, they defeated TMDK, Shane Haste, and Zack Sabre Jr. Um, Moose picked up the win against Shane Haste. And this was one where I absolutely thought that with Zack being on the opposite side, that TMDK could easily pick up the win here. But, you know, again, Impact picks another win up. Match is pretty good. Um, I was wondering if either Edwards or Moose beat Zach. Could there be an avenue for one of them to challenge for the TV title? But they, they beat Shane Hayes, so I don't think we're going that way. Um, following that, we had the NJPW Strong Women's Championship title four-way match where Julia defended her title against Deanna Perrazzo. I, I had to watch this match in full because I felt like if I didn't, uh, uh, um, what is it, the giant guys from ONR, uh, James would attack me. Because, you know, <laughs> you got to give stardom people their time or uh, Dr. Joshi will uh, find you <laughs> and haunt you in your sleep. So I did don't watch this out. match. I don't think James watched this match. But, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but Julia did successfully defend her title against Deanna Perrazzo, Giselle Shaw and Momo Kogo. 12 minutes, 22 seconds. I thought the match was pretty good. Uh, this was the most lively the crowd was, in my opinion, all night up yeah. to this point on the show. They were really into Julia. They were really, yes. uh, you know, amped to see her and to see her perform on this night. Yeah, I like that her finish is the snowplow. I was like, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I think uh, because it w- originates from um, Akira Hokuto and it's the uh, Northern Lights bomb. But yeah, it's the same move as uh, Al Snow's snowplow. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I was going to say, I was going to say, she's a. Uh, Julia's a, a Al Snow fan. That's that's how <laughs> that's how I'm writing it. You know, <laughs> you never know though. That might be true. I mean, Al Snow. You know, he he did a lot of work in Japan that people are not aware of. So you just never know. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I I thought the match was really good. I've been a Diana fan forever because you know I love her technical style. There was this moment where Giselle had one of them in a submission, and Diana had the other one. Like I said, I'm not super on the details. And then they started like, why they had them in submission, beating the shit out of each other. I love that spot. I just thought that was so cool. Uh, the funny thing is, after the match was over, Momo Kogo, who's part of Stars in um, in Stardom, she like a and which is like a, I guess a babyface faction. She like kind of tried to attack Julia out of frustration, but then it backfired. Julia just kind of sunned her. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, that was kind of weird. Yeah, I love that that you you tried to sneak attack someone and then they just beat the crap out of you. That doesn't <laughs> that doesn't happen a lot, you know. When a sneak attack happens, it usually works. So the fact that she's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not having this. You you're not ready for this. Now the ma- next match of the night, uh, I know that you said you're all uh, you know done with these types of matches, but we got another one. South Philly Street fight. Sammy Callahan he defeated Doki. Twelve minutes forty six seconds. The match started, and prior to the match starting, Sammy Callahan gets on the mic, cuts a promo, and this crowd was not into his promo, just like they were not into Enzo Amore's promo the night prior. And he talks about how there there hadn't been enough violence, there hadn't been enough extreme there hadn't been enough hardcore and they needed to amp that up on the night and he challenged doki to a, a, a street fight doki's like okay bitch 
But I don't know what it was because Floyd, you were not alone. You're not the only one who was not into the street fight. I know that they're in the ECW arena arena. I know that the Philly fans have this, you know, reputation as being bloodthirsty, but this was the quietest match of the whole night. And as crazy as Doki and Sammy Callahan are, and they worked hard and they tried to use all the gimmicks. This crowd just did not care. <laughs> it's one of those things. Enzo's promo didn't seem to go with the show, and this match didn't seem to go with the show. Nobody wanted to see this match. I, I like the parts when I, I like I, you know I was kind of skimming, but I pressed play, and it was just like you heard nothing in the background. And I planned to bring that up. Like I was like, oh yeah, did anybody want to see that match? I was going to actually ask you that question. Me? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like, wanted to see it. Like as soon as I saw Sammy Callahan, like I love Doki. And I'm not a big fan of Sammy Callahan at all, but uh, you know, if you're in the ECW arena and you got those two guys, you kind of got to do a street fight. So I'm like, yeah, that's gonna be great. I and I think, yeah, and Sammy Callahan's great at these matches. I, I like literally. I mean, I'm not a big Sammy Callahan guy, but if I'm seeing Sammy Callahan on my card, I'm expecting some type of street fight, you know, weapons match, something along those lines. And you know, what I saw, this match was good. Now I wouldn't like I wouldn't call it like great or historical, but it was worked really, really well, and I love the finish. Well, ultimately, Sammy Callahan picks up the win. He does the uh, the uh, Cactus Jack ninety seven pile driver through a stack of chairs to defeat Doki. Twelve minutes forty six seconds, bringing um, you know Impact to basically five and one on the evening, and that's only if you consider Julia a representative of New Japan. Technically, she's from Stardom. So, I mean, um, that takes us to the next match of the evening junior tag team action as the team of Catch 2-2, Francesco Akira and TJP, they defeated the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita and Robbie Eagles, 11 minutes, 32 seconds. And this was interesting because this was the first true New Japan victory of the evening, but they were both New Japan tag teams. Yes, yes. I noticed that too. And I was like, oh, yeah. So this, I was like, this doesn't count. And I do like the uh, that uh, move where they did the running knees and just smashed in their head. I was like, dude, that's an effective move. That's going to hurt yeah. somebody. I, I, I dig it. I was, I dug, I, I, and I like them as a tag team because, um, you know, I jump in on the big shows with New Japan, and generally they're in the junior tag team match or they're the junior tag team champions. So I've actually seen them probably more than most teams on this group. And I really enjoyed them again on this one. I just skipped to the beginning of the match and actually watched it all the way through. And yeah, I, I TJP as a junior tag team wrestler just has a whole different vibe. Cause I always like, I liked him, you know, when he was in the two Oh five tournament, but I never felt like he got that energy back. And I just, it felt like he's that TJP again, when he's tagging with uh, Akira. Yeah, the catch 2 2 has been fantastic. I was also glad, uh, you know, Kosei Fujita, he just recently graduated. He's on his way to excursion in Australia, being accompanied by stablemate Robbie Eagles. And, yeah, I thought they had a really great outing here. I, it um, was cool to learn Fujita's Australian. Uh, he's not Australian. Uh, <laughs> even though Matt Raywall might want everyone to think he's Australian. If you're in TMDK, Australian. you're Australian, okay? <laughs> and there's a queen, apparently, in Australia, too. 
<laughs> I was like, I was like, he he messed he messed up so much. Uh, it was just like uh, nothing you're saying is true. <laughs> so Kesha two picks up the win. That brings us to the next match of the night. We had twelve man tag team action as Team Bullet Club took on Team International. We had the team of Josh Alexander in his first match since being um, out from injury. He's returning from injury, teaming with PCO, the DKC, Tama Tonga, Tengaloa, and El Fantasmo of the Gorillas of Destiny. And they took on the Bullet Club, Ace Austin, Alex Coughlin, Chris Bay, Clark Goners, David Finley, and Kenta. And the Bullet Club team picked up the victory here. 14 minutes and nine seconds. And the real interesting thing here is, you know, last year at the best of the super juniors, Ace Austin and Chris Bay turned heel, joined the bullet club. That was under the guise of uh, Jay White when that took place. And since then there's been a whole entire transition and changeover in the bullet club and splinter groups and all sorts of different things that have taken place. And now in New Japan, the leader of the Bullet Club slash Bullet Club War Dogs is David Finley. And we haven't seen any connection or interaction between the impact branch of the Bullet Club, meaning Chris Bay and Ace Austin. And it's really been kind of you know questionable. Are they even still part of the Bullet Club? Well, apparently all's good on that front. So they teamed up together. They worked together. They picked up the victory here in what was a really crazy, really wild, and really fun matchup. I just like to state as a representative of ATE that there's only one Bullet Club, and that's the gold one. Bang, bang, bang (laughs) up. Um, No, but I've always, I mean, Chris Bay and Ace Austin, love, love both of them. But this War Dogs group is like, and like I would haven't been an every show watcher in New Japan in a long time just because there's so much wrestling. They kind of make me want to come back. I, they're just so they're like if Bullet Club and Suzuki Gun had a baby. Bro, that's a good analogy. I've never thought of that, but I'm really into Bullet Club <laughs> Dogs, and that's yeah. probably why. Yeah, and they're just like they hate everybody. They want to fight everybody. They fight each other. They don't yeah. care. And I, I dig. I mean, I dig that. I, I mean, it. Like this, just in this six on six multi man match, which just kind of just supposed to be. I just like the attitude with how they wrestle. You know, Clark Connor. I got a little bit the night before. You know, David Finley, who I thought was a jag, honestly. Jag. I had stamped him Jag and didn't care about anything he did. Dude comes off like a serious badass right now. Like, huh, maybe, just maybe he could, you know, be like so, uh, one of your top guys. But I definitely buy him as a, a formidable heel. This group, like, they just stick off. It's just like these random angry white guys. And it works. <laughs> It works, and I don't know why it works. I don't know why it works. I could not put my hand on it. It's just like, these are dudes you don't want to see in the bar. They're going to beat you up and not even think about it. I, I loved the interactions between Coglin and PCO, the, sla- the, the, the uh, chop battle they had, Coglin throwing PCO around, seeing PCO still doing the crazy dives and, and, and moonsaults is just so nuts. Yes. Um, 
But ultimately, David Finley was able to secure victory over the DKC with a massive power bomb at the one, two, three. Uh, we had a question here from MJ Does PR. He says, Thoughts on how David Finley came off to the Philly crowd? Do you think he would get over with an AEW crowd? So I guess the first part is um, how did you think the the Philadelphia crowd responded to him? They treated him like he was a tr- I felt like and booed him like he was a true like heel, top guy heel. Not like 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 I'm not even, you know, there's only so many Don Calluses and MJFs and all that stuff in the world. But he got he they respected him like he was a dick like, you know, he's a dick. And it was great. It was like it wasn't that like I said, the night before you saw when people like hated you versus when they don't, you know, like they hated you in a wrestling way. Yeah, I you know, I'm only questioning this because he's asking this question i and i'm supposing that maybe it's being asked because he didn't get a great reception i'm not sure but i wasn't really paying any special attention to see how he was received and it didn't seem quiet or anything like that to me just from what i saw and again i didn't take special note i thought that overall the entire group the bullet club got a pretty good ovation, a lot of heel boos, uh, that sort of thing. If there was any sort of negative apathy or, or reaction to David Finley, it didn't, I didn't notice it whatsoever. But then again, this is kind of a special show where the crowd to me, I, I can't say I know for sure who, who all was and wasn't there, but this crowd seemed to be very much into certain aspects of new japan as well as impact kind of indicating to me that this was a knowledgeable fan base of both groups and were really into both both of them and might actually be a totally different audience than the previous night show where some of the reactions kind of diverged from what i heard on the second night so i wouldn't be surprised if if david finley did get a good reaction from you know, a kind of bought in crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then that was like, I came off of thinking he seemed like a major hill. Like us. And I was like me watching the parts that I did. It was like I said, they didn't seem as exceptionally quiet. It didn't seem like they rejected him as the leader no. of the bullet club. So, I mean, like I said, I might, you know, some, someone can catch something I didn't, but I didn't catch I anything. egregious. I might go back and watch now because now that he's asking this, I'm wondering myself, like, did I miss something here? But, um, yeah, it's it's still tight. The end is still queued up. So I'm literally (laughs) thinking about just like rewinding it right after the show and just listening. Now, you know, did he get the kind of reactions that like, say Jay White used to get an impact? Like, no, but at the same time, I didn't notice anything. Um, Rod Easter, shout out to Rod. He asked us, when will Bullet Club Gold and War Dogs going to get down? Finley has addressed Gold, but nothing from the Bang Bang. <laughs> um, you know, the Bang Bang gang has a little work to do where they are to establish themselves. So they're not trying to start a fight with other companies. They still haven't, you know, settled into the... Uh, <laughs> they Bullet, Bullet Club Gold has none. Let them get, let them get settled in AEW, get some titles. You know, then they'll come beat up uh, the War Dogs. But right now, hey, rock hard. You know, and uh, what it, what is it? Uh, card Blade. Uh, yeah, they just give them a minute. Give them a minute. Let them get settled. They're new. 
They're new. They're getting their legs under them. So the semi-main event of the evening, we had tag team action as Leo Rush and Trey Miguel of the Rascals defeated the team of Hiromu Takahashi and Speedball Mike Bailey. 14 minutes and 28 seconds. A very good outing. Lots of fast-paced junior action in this match. But ultimately, the, the decisive victory came when Leo Rush took an opportunity when the ref's back was turned to punch Hiromu Takahashi in the balls and roll him up for the unceremonious one, two, three, much to the chagrin of the crowd there live in the audience. And, uh, Oh, they hated that. They hated it. 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 Post-match, he challenged Hiromu Takahashi to a IWGP junior title match. Since he also defeated Hiromu in one-on-one action during the best of the super juniors, and Mike Bailey was not too happy whatsoever with that. And Hiromu was all the nun, you know, was very ready to go, wanted to do the match right then and there. And um, that kind of, you know, leads to uh, some of the news we're going to have here about the IWGP title and, and its current state. But a great match with a bad finish. Dude, I love the finish. I loved it. Like when you get the <laughs> when you get the crowd to react like that, you did the right finish. <laughs> they, right. they they hated it, and man, uh, a rush and Takahashi. Oh my god! I'm gonna look. Sign me up. I'm gonna make sure I watch that match because man, again, Leo's one of those people. His outside stuff kind of distracts you from how amazing he is and then when you see how amazing it is and you remember the outside stuff it makes you kind of sad because it's like dude if those two worlds can when he's on and when he's dialed in he's one of the best and him and takashi are going to push each other to another level and i'm looking forward to it and dude yeah that that shot and how he held it he kind of held it for a second yeah. and then pulled him up. Oh, God. That dude that played was some, that. That was some ELPism right there. Yeah, he played it so well. And the crowd just like, hey, yeah. Yeah, this was my match of the night. Uh, I probably went about four stars here. I thought it was a really great match, including the finish. Um, and I was not expecting Leo Rush to pin Hiromu on that evening. And Leo Rush is the current reigning X Division champion. So he's looking to become, you know, um, double crowned. So then that takes us to the main event as the Impact World Champion Alex Shelley successfully defended his title against his senpai, Hiroshi Tanahashi, 18 minutes and 52 seconds to end the show. And, uh, you know, I thought this match was pretty good. Uh, They had a great video package. They did an awesome presentation. Um, But ultimately, you know, I think Tanahashi was probably hurting quite a bit from just coming recently off of the uh, G1 Climax tour, kind of worked his ass off during that. And he was looking to me, again, very rough in this match. But one thing that they did that was smart was Tanahashi worked the leg of Alex Shelley, just like he's prone to do. And Alex sold it in a way to where he seemed to be compromised in his movement and kind of slowed his pace down to Tanahashi so that Tanahashi could kind of keep up with him. So a little bit of a more measured pace for this style of match, but the crowd was really into both guys. They were really into the matchup. They had a lot of great exchanges. Uh, Tanahashi at one point uh, went for the high fly flow and Alex Shelley rolled out of the way. (laughs) And Tanahashi just crashed to the mat like a sack of bricks. Um, There was a point where Tanahashi put on the 
Cloverleaf. He was having so much mobility issues. He couldn't even stand up and keep it held on, which was kind of sad. And uh, Alex Shelley ended up picking up the victory with a shell shock. There was a, also a point where he used a V trigger and a Rainmaker in the middle of the match, a little bit of a kind of storytelling callbacks to uh, Tanahashi's, you know, former foes and Kenny Omega and uh, Kazushiko Okada, but uh, a great match. And Alex Shelley establishes himself as kind of surpassing his, uh, his teacher. And let me tell you, um, Tanahashi is the perfect legend, right? You can put him on any of these shows, put him in a title match, uh, give him, you know, put him in a title match. He's a name. He can lose. It literally doesn't affect him. Just does it. He's Tanahashi. He's still Tanahashi. Yeah. He's still the ace. When he comes out on that next match after he's lost 20 matches in a row, go ace and everybody's going to go fucking nuts. <laughs> and it's just like, like, yeah, he lost this match, but you still got a Tanahashi match. It was still good because the dude doesn't do lower than good. You know, yeah. it's like when you look at him and you talk about his matches, it's like, is it good, great, or is he old Tanahashi? You know, that kind of thing. Those are the levels. He doesn't go. He's going to put on a good match no matter what. And he doesn't have to win. So he's the perfect person to put up against the other company's champion to take an L and ah, oh well, Tanahashi put him in another main event next week, and it, <laughs> you know he's he's fine. No one, there is never a point where people don't believe in Tanahashi because he's Tanahashi at this point. Well, I thought that <laughs> this was a, a, a great uh, accomplishment for Alex Shelley, and you know the yeah. crowd was really behind him. Uh, Rod Easter did ask us a question. He said, uh, "Yeah." Why the ace didn't come to America with his front chicklets? <laughs> did he not have his teeth in again? I didn't notice. I did not notice that either. Even when, I, like when like I saw the pin, saw the other match, never saw that his teeth were gone. Maybe they were out. <laughs> but that pretty much wraps up. That's our review. Um, one last thing I did want to point out, and that I didn't like about this was they announced these two shows back to back. You know, and I'm sitting here thinking like in the past when new Japan has a two night pay-per-view event that you can go to fight or new Japan world, however you want to do it and pay one fee for a consolidated double package price. And then it turned out the all-star junior festival was only featured on new Japan world, but the impact new Japan pay-per-view was only featured on fight and you had to pay essentially let's just say about $25 for each of them so you know I guess $50 across the board which is you know a little less than probably what you pay for like a, an AEW pay-per-view but as cool as these shows were as enjoyable as they were I don't know if two $25 fees was warranted here or if I feel like that was good business practice I don't know it all depends on if people bought them, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it's just like, I honestly, I, you know, I mean, I, I, we're actually dealing with this with AEW right now. Right. All in and all out. Everybody kept, all, all I kept hearing is that we're going to get a two package deal where you're going to get a discount for buying them both. You know what never came? I bought them yesterday. <laughs> there was no two package deal. I paid forty nine ninety nine for each show. 
Did anybody <laughs> ask Tony about that during the press conference today? I, from what I read, I read Amy's uh, information on it. Uh, I did not see. Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't see if uh, Voices of Wrestling put out their stuff yet because I'm I'm on their Patreon and they didn't put out their like recap of it yet. So I don't know because that's who that's the one I usually go to because I think theirs is the best. But I don't believe anyone asked that question because I didn't I haven't heard any news. But yeah, I, yeah, it makes no sense to me. Um, they, they probably would have asked if they called on the right people. You know yeah, what yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know the people well, that are going to give you the softballs. I mean, every company does it. Unfortunately, is like, hey, how does it feel to be working in your home company? Not, I don't care. <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> Next week, I'll. All in weekend is taking place, and one of the big shows that I wanted to just go over very quickly, and something that we'll probably review next week, depending on how much time Jeremy has and what he's seen. But I'm probably definitely going to watch it. Um, the day prior to All in is the Rev Pro 11th year anniversary live from the Copper Box on August 26th, and I have a rundown here. So on the pre-show, we have an undisputed Rev Pro British Women's Title Number One Contendership Battle Royal. Several girls will be involved. They don't have all the names announced, but Alexis Falcon, Chantel Jordan, and Sarfire Reed are involved. On the main show, you've got Connor Mills, the Red Pro Undisputed British Cruiserweight Champion, defending against Shaw Samuels, Wild Boar, Robbie X, Jordan Briggs, and Callum Newman. Following that, JJ Gale will take on Kosei Fujita of TMDK. The Drilla, Dan Maloney of the Bull Club, will take on Leon Slater. Fourth match of the night. The Rev Pro Undisputed British Women's Champion Alex Windsor will defend against Mickey James and Hyon. Fifth match of the night, the Bull Club of War Dogs, David Finley and Gabe Kidd, along with Gato, will take on El Fantasmo and Katsuyori Shibata. Sixth match of the night, subculture team of Flash Morgan Webster and Mark Andrews, the current uh, Rev Pro Undisputed British Tag Team Champions, defend those titles against the Velocities, Jude London and Paris De Silva of Australia. Seventh match of the night, Tomohiro Ishii will take on Luke Jacobs. Eighth match of the night, Zack Sabre Jr. takes on Ricky Knight Jr. In the semi-main event, Shingo Takagi will take on Will Ospreay. And then in your main event, you have the champion of Rev Pro, the undisputed British champion, Michael Oku, defending his title against Trent Seven. So um, I wanted to bring this up because there's a lot of New Japan representation on this show. And I think this is going to be one of those landmark events that kind of bolsters the, uh, you know, profile of all in and the all in weekend, similar to what we've seen with like WrestleMania weekend, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just went over there. I was like, I'm going to, I think I might go to the show. I know it's sold out, but you know. it's a good show. Yeah. I'm thinking I might go. I, I have really nothing planned for Saturday night. Uh, and I literally have no idea what they're doing for fan fest. Cause they have announced nothing. So, um, yeah, might end up going to this show. There might be something I can do just depending on, uh, logistics and stuff, but no, this sounds, this sounds fun. I mean, honestly, and I'm not saying this like in a derogatory way, I think Owen's obviously going to be incredible and the show's going to be fantastic. And how can you, you know, compare to the, you know, presentation of an 80,000, you know, uh, plus uh, attendance for a stadium event. But on paper, just looking at how hungry a lot of these different people are, I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of 
tries to compete on paper with what all in does similar to like some of those higher end, you know, WrestleMania weekend shows that you're used to seeing. And there's a couple of really great matches that, that, you know, obviously the big one, Shingo Takagi versus Will Ospreay. They've never had a match that wasn't a match that you're contender. That's like their floor. So them in, in for the first time in front, since their first match, Again, for the first time in front of a live audience in the UK, in the Copper Box, sold out. Like I feel like that's going to be really special. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely special. Uh, I like I, the one thing I love about British crowds and, and UK crowds, and and it's all of them. It, this is not like oh, only at this company or only at this company. They're going to take however many in that room, and it's going to feel like there's ten times as many people there, mm-hmm. and they're they're, they're going to make you think the Hills are the worst person ever. Uh, Zach Gibson, uh, who's in NXT now, is part of whatever group that is. I hate the group. Uh, Zach Gibson. Dude, I thought he was the worst human ever <laughs> in progress. They literally started chanting, if you hate this person, take off your shoe. And literally the whole crowd had their shoe up in the air. Shoes so, off. Yeah, shoes off if you hate. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, and no, and it's like, it was one of those shows. I went into a lot of the progress shows at the beginning, not knowing who any of those people are. But by the end of it, like, whoever they loved was a god. Whoever they hated was the devil. And it was just like, when people like crowds can't make, I mean, crowds make great shows. I mean, you can take an average show and make it feel like you're at WrestleMania if you have the right crowd. So I could only imagine 11-year anniversary show filled up how wild that's going to be. There's still going to be like, I think around 5,000 people for this event. Wow. That's, yeah, that's crazy good. So it's like one of their biggest events. Um in some of the other matches, I mean, we've seen um, the velocities in the past uh, featured on the New Japan Tamashi events, but they uh, they have a, a storied rivalry in the past with uh, uh, Aussie Open, and you know them against Subculture should be fantastic. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii against Luke Jacobs is going to be nuts. That's going to be just like a hard hitting, fucking brutal match. Um, and then the last one I'd like to point out before we move on, El Fantasmo teaming up with Katsuri Shibata to take to take on David Finley and Gabe Kidd. There's a lot of story elements kind of tied up there because you got Shibata, who is the trainer of Gabe Kidd, but Gabe Kidd, you know, is now aligned with the War Dogs and has this I don't give a fuck attitude. And then Shibata being this legend, but a lot of people don't remember is prior to his injury. He's a former rep pro champion. He spent a lot of time in the UK scene. And so his return to the ring for the first time ever in the UK is going to be really special. And then doing it against his uh, student. And then ELP is also interesting because a lot of people don't remember like rep pro is where he's kind of got his first big break before he jumped to new Japan and so with him j- going into this new persona with G.O.D. and sort of trying to find himself kind of returning as a as a good guy here, teaming with Shibata, that's going to be incredible. And then and then you got David Finley, who's like the new leader of the Bull Club and like his whole entire lineage. They've got all this history in the UK, but he's like not viewed as part of that lineage, even though he's got the family name and he's fourth generation, like, you know. They don't accept him. Yeah, he's American. Yeah, he's American. <laughs> like he's American, but like in America, they don't accept him. Yeah, like 
he's you know from over there and like in 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 uh japan like they don't accept like he's a man without a home so yeah it's gonna be and then you know just the whole thing with uh him and elp their history like it's that match is gonna be great yeah yeah absolutely uh shibata is one of those people when i first watched new japan he was and i watched before his injury he was one of the people i immediately you know like drew in drew me in was like okay i know wrestling is this but this dude makes me think wrestling is something else. And he, he just has a badass aura that you can't match. So anytime he's on the card, it's just, I, 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 it takes me back to that first time seeing New Japan. And it was just like, you know, in awe of what I was watching because I had never seen anything like it. So anytime he's on the card, anytime he's in a match, it's special to me. So I am, yeah, this is going to be awesome. How he works. With uh, Finley, like, you know, yeah, like you, you're gonna, like, cause Finley's, you know, Finley has upped his game. He's kind of yeah. upped that attitude and it, he's become way, for me, more fun to watch. He's actually somebody that I look at as someone that could be something as opposed to, oh, that's Juice Robinson's sidekick, which is what he was to me for a long time. Well, that is gonna do it for the Repro 11th year anniversary. Uh, like I mentioned, next week we'll probably have a, a few more things to talk about with that. So um, this past week we got um, some, some announcements related to Destruction Tour. So all throughout September and October, there's going to be Road to Destruction Tour events. And then on September 24th, we, we have the Big Destruction in Kobe event. And then on October 9th, the Big Destruction in Ryogoku. In between those events, like I mentioned, there will be Road to Destruction Tour events. They announced the dates for many of those events, but we don't know which ones will or won't be televised so far. We have the first three nights of the tour being televised on September 8th, September 9th and September 10th. Not going to run down those entire cards, but some of the big matches that have been announced that are worth uh, noting on September 8th, Zack Sabre jr. Will defend the NJPW world television title against Oleg Bolton. And in the main event of that evening, Sonata and Tai Chi will be facing off against Evil and Sho in preview matches of their upcoming title matches. On September 9th, we have the Never Six Man Tag Team titles being defended as Ishii, Tanahashi, and Okada take on Tiger Mask 4, Tenzan, and Makabe. And then in the main event, we have a 10-man elimination tag team match as uh, a five-man unit from LIJ and United Empire take on one another in an elimination match. One thing notable there, Callum Newman from RevPro, who is the uh, apprentice to um, Will Ospreay, he is making his debut for New Japan Pro Wrestling as a member of the United Empire. And then on September 10th, September 10th is going to not only be a Road to Destruction Tour um, event, but it will also be a Blue Justice Produce show. And in the main event, we have um, six-man tag team action as the uh, trio of Strong Style take on Team Nagata. And they announced earlier this month that um, this is going to be the first of a best of seven series. So that best of seven series is going to play out over the course of this tour on September 10th, 17th, and 25th, and 30th. And then on October 1st, 7th, and 9th. And October 9th is the big destruction in Ria Goku. So we'll, we'll be seeing strong style take on team Nagata. If, 
if it goes all seven, which I'm sure it will on that final event in destruction of Ria Goku. Finally, for the destruction in Kobe and destruction of Ria Goku cards, some big matches were announced. Tai Chi and Sho for the KOPW title. TMDK versus Bishamon for the IWGP tag team titles. Shingo versus Okan. Naito versus Cobb. And then your main event on September 24th, Will Ospreay defends the United States slash UK. We don't know what the official title is. He'll be defending that title against Yotasuji on September 24th. And then on October 9th, um, most of that event has been announced. We have Tangaloa taking on Chase Owens, the Bull Club War Dogs, Connors and Maloney taking on the Intergalactic Jet Setters, Kushida and Kevin Knight, the Bull Club War Dogs, Kid and Coglin taking on the GOD tag team of ELP and Hikaleo for the strong tag team titles. And then a big announced match, Hiromu Takahashi will be defending the IWGP junior tag or junior um, title against Leo Rush and Speedball Mike Bailey in a triple threat match. David Finley will take on Tamatanga to defend the never open weight title. And then your main event, Sonata versus Evil for the IWGP world title. And we did have a question from Death Triangle 720. He says, what do you think about the destruction tour cards announced thus far? I can say I like them, uh, especially the triple threat. Uh, Leo Rush, uh, Leo Rush, Speedball, and Takashi are gonna, you know, they're gonna tear it down. And if let's say you want to go with Leo Rush, oh my God, people would hate that so much. Oh man, you know, I kind of like to sometimes I like to watch the world burn, so kind of want Leo Rush to win. Uh, but <laughs> no, uh, no, uh, the elimination match uh, bet- uh, between what probably I would have said before you had me watch these shows this weekend was my favorite faction in new japan uh united empire uh i think that'll be fun i love um that was one thing i I used to not care about the elimination matches listening to your show and you just kind of told me how the stories go in it i had to actually you had to kind of explain it to me and uh i kind of learned to find a more uh find something enjoyable about the elimination matches but i did have one question yeah, I'm, uh, I've always heard this term, and I've always wanted to ask you about it, but I always forget. Produce shows. What is that? So a produce show would be like what the All-Star Junior Festival is. It's basically like uh, an independent show produced by an individual or an independent group. Okay. So like, for instance, like remember when um, Kenny Omega did the first CEO show? Yes. Like, that's a produce show. Like, yeah, it was along with New Japan, but, like, New Japan, like, they might have helped finance it a little bit, but, like, really, it was Kenny's show. Okay. That, okay. I, I mean, and honestly, context, probably could have figured that out, but I, I didn't know how many other people might have uh, had that question and didn't ask. No, that's a great question know. because we use a lot of insider terms, and, you know, I don't ever know if the people listening, like, understand or not <laughs> yeah and i'm just like i've heard that term so many times i've probably used it incorrectly even more than that but i wanted to know officially what it meant one other thing too and i didn't um specify here team nagata this, that's going to be a trio of yuji nagata shota umino and master wato and the strong style trio is uh ren narita el desperado and minoru suzuki and they'll be fighting one another all tour in a best of seven series, which is very interesting because new Japan doesn't do a lot of best of seven series. I can't even recall one off the top of my head. So that's going to be interesting. 
Um, I don't, I can't say that I'm super excited for everything that's on the tour. I'm kind of just waiting to get past destruction so we can move into like as crazy as it sounds like tag season and move into a, a wrestle kingdom season. I'm kind of ready for that, but there is some really good stuff here. I'm interested in Oleg Bolton versus Zack Sabre. I think that's going to be really like interesting, if not good. Um, like you, I think that Hiromu, Mike Bailey, and Leo Rush is going to deliver in October. That's going to be great. Um, but you know, a lot of these tag team matches, I don't know if I'm like super excited about the programs. I'm not excited at all for Sonata and, and Evil. And I think I've seen enough of Finley and Tomatonga to last me <laughs> a lifetime. Um, but we'll have a lot more to say about that when uh, Jeremy gets back to the show and, you know, I'm sure we'll be doing a lot of reviews and previews for those events. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm looking let, forward to them. <laughs> let's jump into the news here. So one of the big news items, um, and I don't have all the details, but um, Takaki Kadani had statements in Log My Finance this past uh, week relating to New Japan as well as Bushi Road and their standing in the wrestling world. Um, one of the, the big things to note Recently, there was a financial report that came out for Bushi Road. Most of the, the negative now, there were um, financial reports related to both Stardom as well as New Japan, and their earnings were good, but they were below what they had been earning prior to the pandemic. So it's seeming like they haven't fully bounced back financially from where they were pre pandemic. But um, Bushi Road stock dropped 35% in just two days very recently, as well as the yen. If you've noticed, if you pay for New Japan World, you'll notice that your 9.99 yen is only like $7.28 or something crazy like that. Yes. And right now the yen has softened against the US dollar and Bushi Road, their mobile game division is not doing well. And that's what the majority of the, the, stock drop has come from along with all this Kadani mentioned how right now he admitted in an official interview that they are no longer really the number two company in the world right now that pretty much their Western expansion was kind of hurt in a lot of ways by AEW's rise and kind of put the kaput <laughs> on them actually, you know, gaining a foothold in the West. And he says that they're exploring and considering options to expand in other parts of Asia moving forward. Wow. That's yeah. Yeah. Tony Khan ruining everything. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not all him. There's other, there's a lot of things at play, but you know, um, there are rumors right now that a lot of the uh, Westerners, whose contracts might be coming up on January 4th might not be returning. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is because you, you have to pay a certain amount for Western wrestlers, but the yen has dropped in price. So it's costing you more to pay and fulfill the contracts of some of those guys. Yeah. So um, that's why Jericho left uh, Mexico. The yep, peso same. took a really big hit. I remember that in his book. Yep. Same thing happened there. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but we'll keep our eye on that. Um, um, I'm always oh, doing my part because I've still, to this day, never gotten rid of my New Japan subscription. It's still there. <laughs> I don't watch it enough to probably <laughs> justify the amount every month, but it's still there. New Japan Tamashi returns in Sydney September 15th uh, at the Crowbar in Sydney. So if you live in Australia, you want to attend that event, that's coming up. 
Wrestling Observer Newsletter reported that Sonata is currently working with a torn bicep and will is not getting surgery on it. He's working through that uh, injury, so that's pretty crazy. Uh, there's a recent Hiromu Takahashi Sports Illustrated interview with Justin Barrasso. Well worth a read. Okay. One of the big uh, talking points coming out of it is he mentioned how he wants to work AEW. He wants to wrestle Darby Allen for the IWGP title. Okay. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be really awesome. Uh, Impact Emergence is coming up on um, August the 27th. And uh, no, not August. Uh, Is it August? Yeah, August the 27th. And uh, Sonata has been announced for that event, and he'll be facing off against Jake something. So making a rare U.S. appearance. Um, On September the 3rd, Noah is having an event at Edion Arena, and it's been announced that Kaito Keomiya is teaming up with uh, Ryohei Oiwa on his excursion to take on um, Ogawa and Zack Sabre Jr. New Japan Strong Fighting Spirit Unleashed 2023 is taking place uh, here very shortly uh, at Samstown in Las Vegas, and there's been talent announcements for that. We'll keep you updated as cards come out for that event. This past week, New Japan also announced Royal Quest 3 from the Copper Box on October 14th. Some of the announced talent was Will Ospreay, Tomohiro Ishii, Tetsuya Naito, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. There was a big interview on NJPW1972.com with El Desperado, and he discussed certain uh, subjects as his contract status with New Japan Pro Wrestling and the reports from Dave Meltzer in regards to that. He talked about his match with... Uh, uh, the East West connection at the all-star junior festival and what he thought of those guys, as well as his recent deathmatch exploits. So if you haven't checked that interview out, very eye opening, very interesting and well worth the read. Um, the CMLL grand prix international 2023 took place on August 18th when team Mexico defeated team international in a cybernetico match. Um, representation from new Japan included Francesco Akira Kushida, Rocky Romero, TJP, and Hiromu Takahashi. Hiromu was the last man eliminated in the match by Mystico via submission. So, um, be interesting if we could get a Hiromu Mystico match down the line. We'll see. CMLL's 90th anniversary event is coming up September 16th, and uh, they announced a match between Kevin Knight, Rocky Romero, and TJP teaming up to take on Atlantis Jr., Mascara Dorada 2.0, and Mystico. And last bit of news here, Wrestle Kingdom 18th poster has been released as of just this morning. And on the poster, a lot of talent was featured, but most prominently Sonata, Naito, Okada, Finley, and Osprey were featured. So probably gives you a good indication, idea of what some of the upcoming matches might look like for Wrestle Kingdom this year. Last bit here, we got a couple questions, then we'll go to recommended matches, and we'll be done for the evening. So a um, couple questions here, Floyd. Um, MJ does PR asked, thoughts on the excursion destination for uh, Senior Young Lions? Ryohei Oiwa is heading to NOAA, and Kosei Fujita is heading to Australia. Yeah, um, Fujita is Australian, so that makes, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And uh, <laughs> heading to NOAA, you know, NOAA, you know, know a lot of people don't watch as much anymore so if you want to get somewhere and you want to learn and get better and you know kind of if you need to suck a little bit have a place (laughs) where you can suck and no one will see that's a place to go 
Um, I think that this is a, a good move um, on New Japan's part in some some regards because I do think there is a little bit of that element. I don't know if I would agree. <laughs> I don't know if I'd agree that that's why they're sending Oiwa to Noah. But you know, for Fujita, there is less of a viewership in the Australian independent scene, so there is a little bit of a a feeling that he is somewhat tucked away over there. And maybe that will draw Western eyes to want to check out some of those independent companies that he's working for. But if not, it does give him a, a chance to grow and learn um, over in that area. And then, you know, with Oiwa, uh, him working Noah is very interesting because these are two different avenues that haven't really been exploited or explored too much when it comes to the, excursion situation you know typically we see them sending um people to like rev pro or cmll or even like the independence in north america or even impact and this is kind of a different route and i think it's going to give different life experiences and and um you know lessons to these guys so i think it's a good idea and i i'd like for them to kind of do more of this you know um, Les Commission 7252 says, what year did you guys enjoy from New Japan from 2017 to 2019? Or is there another year when you guys felt like New Japan was at its peak? Uh, 2017 through 2019, pretty much until AEW. Uh, until AEW came along, I was literally a every show watcher. I, I mean, I listened I was listening to two New Japan podcasts at that time. They were my preferred brand until AEW. Uh, so 2017, 2019, if we're doing trivia, that's that's where I'm going to live, you know, because I, I, I lived it then. I watched two complete G1s. So, yeah, uh, no, that, those were my years. Yeah, I think that that's a golden era for the company for sure. But, I mean, I'm it, it's hard for me because I – I love New Japan, so you know it's hard for me to say. I, I don't know if I ever have ever tried to catalog the company and and put it in the context of this era was better than this other era. I can tell you know what I'm better at. I can tell you if you ask me, like let's say if you were to be like, what did you like in 1983 about New Japan? <laughs> I can tell you what was really good at that time. Or even like, you know, you could ask me what was good in the dark ages and I could tell you the matches and the programs that I liked, but it's not, you know, I, I, am not sitting here thinking that there's a particular pinnacle or Zenith to the company. They've had a lot of ebbs and flows, you know, for many people, the nineties is the pinnacle for new Japan pro wrestling. And for other newer fans, I think, you know, years that you just mentioned are probably the, the top end. Yeah, it, I mean, it, you know me. I always, my always focus is going to be what I like. So if right. you be like, what, what, what didn't you like about it? I'm like, I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, anytime <laughs> I watch New Japan, I like the show. It's like, it's not. I didn't go away from New Japan because it got worse. I right. got went away through New Japan because my favorite group of people started their own company, and I just went into supporting them. It had nothing to do with New Japan. I mean. There are they all. I still probably I if you uh, lie detector test you holding gun to my head. They're the best in ring product in the world. 
And then um, last couple questions here, MMA-centric. Floyd, you're not so much a, a mixed martial arts guy, I don't think, right? Yeah, see, that is for – JR is super hardcore into it, so I hear more about – uh, I hear more about um, MMA on a daily basis than probably the novice knows. So I know names like I, I know about the O'Malley fight this weekend or uh, whatever um, that how that ended or whatever. But in general, no, not a cool. huge MMA fan. Well, I was there just, for the great for the greatest knockout in MMA history <laughs> when Leon Edwards won. I was there, there. The only MMA see, that, fight I ever went to was that. I knew you- that's how I knew you weren't so much like a MMA guy because I remember talking to you and I was like, oh yeah, that I was. I think I told you that night. I was like, I wouldn't be totally surprised if Edwards won, and then he did, even though I was still shocked by it. <laughs> it was just crazy because I was, I was like, I was messaging Jr. I was like, oh my god, this is so boring. And then all like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm rolling my eyes up. I'm like, oh okay, so this dude's about to just. Because it didn't even look like Edwards was trying. And then I was like, oh, he's about to roll this guy up. They're going to announce the winner. I was like, I don't even stand for the winner announcement. Let's get out. Oh, God, what the hell? <laughs> That's exactly how it happened. You can, like, Dave will tell you. I was literally bitching about how boring the show was. And then the dude caught a, a kick to the face. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. All-time moment. All-time moment. I said I'm never going to MMA again because I ended on a perfect moment. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hawaiian Punch BB says, what did you guys think of Sugar Sean's performance this past weekend? Do you think O'Malley's reign will be reminiscent of Bisping's reign where they'll give him revenge fights and favorable matchups over the deserving challengers? Um, anything you want to talk about O'Malley's title? title win this past weekend uh i saw saw how he knocked him out he just called him you know that kind of thing it was like i don't uh in the minute that i saw it, it didn't look like he was like dominating the fight he just looked like he the guy got caught so i could see them running the match back and i heard this other guy i don't remember his name just basically say o'malley sucks and he's gonna beat him up and i was like <laughs> dude dude i love i was like i was like that's the whole thing about real fights you know Great thing about a real fight, you don't really need to know who the two guys are. You want to watch a fight. If you're in the mall, just walking out, somebody screams fight, you run to the noise. So as soon as that guy's like, dude, you suck, I'm just going to beat you in like one round. I was like, okay, sign me up for that fight. I don't even know who it is. I want to watch it. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, you know, the funny thing here is uh, I, I fully intended to watch this uh, event, and then I got tired, man, and I went home, and I, I went to bed. And I I actually was anticipating for Aljo to win the fight. Um, I talked with some of my buddies earlier in the day, and I was like, you know, absolutely, Sean is a special fighter. Sean could hurt him. Sean could knock him out. And I was like, if he's able to control distance, stay away from the clinch, stuff takedowns, and, you know, let his hands and his feet go, he could definitely win. But I kind of thought Aljamain Sterling would probably rough him up, put him on his back, and give him trouble similar to like how Jan did. Um, I didn't watch the fight. I still need to, but I did see the knockout uh, beautiful per just precision from sugar. Sean O'Malley um, did, did a great job keeping distance with the teep and then having that spatial awareness. Um, Aljamain Sterling, you know, tried to land a big right hand and <laughs> he missed the mark uh, sugar you know, rolled and then saw that opening, hit him with the straight right, dropped him, continued to pound him out, got him out of there. One, two, three, 
picks up the big victory. Um, you know, I think the thing with Sean is a couple things. Um, I think that I don't know how they're going to match him up, moving him forward. Um, you know, you mentioned Bisbee. I think that they're going to, honestly, I think I see him more as like a, a, a Connor figure, not just because of the marketing, but because of the style of fighting. He's not necessarily a great ground fighter. He's a very precise striker. Um, and it's going to be tough once they put him in there with, you know, capable grapplers. Um, but it's going to be exciting as it, you know, for the, for as long as he's champion, as long as he's at the top of the, of his game, it's going to be very exciting because he is a special fighter, but I don't see him as a complete fighter. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. Um, next question. And this is the last one for the evening says, do you think everyone is overrating Aljo? That's Aljamain Sterling's, um, bantamweight greatest of all time status and his title reign. His title reign consisted of a weird DQ win over Jan, a win over Dillashaw with a bad shoulder and a win over Cejudo coming off of a three-year layoff. The rematch win over Jan being the only impressive thing that he did that was impressive. Did you um, have any impression of Aljamain Sterling prior to this loss, um, Floyd? Honestly, my only impression, and which is not going to help at all, is that I liked his name. He sounds like two <laughs> two black guys put their name together, Al and Jermaine. Uh, but I literally have I have literally have no thoughts on the guy. Oh my god! All right, I'll just I'll just leave it at this. I think Aljamain Sterling. Um, I think the the idea that he is the greatest of all time at bantamweight is absurd. Um, and this is no slight to him. It's just. I, I think that the prestige and the um, legacy of former fighters is always pretty much just walked over and trashed by the modern um, marketing team of primarily the UFC and the fans that buy into it. And it's one of those strange things where when you look at uh, boxing and professional wrestling, which are not exactly the same thing, but they're adjacent to MMA. There's so much like deference paid to the pioneers and the stars of the past. And, you know, WWE's pretty much made their entire marketing based off of propping up stars from the past. And, and in boxing, you know, you, you hear those famous names from the past, Ali, you know, Holyfield, Tyson, De La Hoya, yada, yada. And people remember them and they, they respect them. But in MMA, if you're even talking about a guy that's like five years past his prime, like it's everybody has something to say, you know, one way or the other. And it, there's no um, honor paid to legends of the past. And I think it just has a lot to do with kind of a toxic fan culture in, and, you know, honestly, uh, uh, I hate to say it this way, but like, a fan base that's not that educated about the history of their own sport that they're fans of truthfully. Um, I do still think that the greatest of all time at bantamweight is Dominic Cruz. I don't think there's a lot of other strong candidates at this current time um, for that. I think, but I do think Aljamain Sterling is underrated quite a bit. Uh, I think he was a great fighter and still is a great fighter and we'll see what continues from his career. But just because he won a certain number of fights in the UFC or just because he defended the title a certain amount of times doesn't make you the greatest. There has to be 
other aspects to the history of your fight game to bolster a claim like that. And do you feel you need to beat a great to be considered a great? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. I mean, some people are great because they just didn't have very good competition during their time as a elite fighter. Well, you know, Aljamain Sterling's beaten a lot of really great fighters. And I mean, he beat Peter Yan and he did beat Dillashaw and, and Cejudo, even with those asterisks next to those wins, you can do that to anybody's fight resume. I could do that to anybody's resume, but you know, the difference is when they keep beating everybody, <laughs> it's kind of hard to find an excuse every single time. I, I think Aljamain Sterling's a really good fighter and I, I don't think people give him the respect that he deserves, but I do think the marketing team of the UFC and, you know, modern, uh, journalists are always wanting to hype someone up as the greatest of all time when it's like very premature, you know? Absolutely. It's just, there's like, there's a big gap between being the worst fighter ever and the greatest ever. And a lot of people probably fit more inside that than at either end. Well, um, that's going to bring us to recommended match of the week and then we'll get out of here. So last week I did watch two matches that I just wanted to talk about very briefly. Um, I watched Mayu Iwatani defend the IWGP women's uh, world title um, against Utami Hayashishta from Stardom X Stardom uh, just a few weeks ago. And I also watched Rocky Romero versus Mascara Dorada from, um, let me see here. That was the Stardom X Stardom 2023 Osaka Summer Team um, show was August the 13th and then Mascara Dorada 2.0 versus Rocky Romero was from CMLL's Super Viernes event on July the 28th and that was the finals of the uh let me take a look here that was a big tournament that they did that evening it was the uh Torneo uh La Leyenda de Plata 2023 finals and um, I thought both matches were really, really, really good. I'm recommending that you check both of them out. Um, I think that there is some sort of, even though I thought the Iwatani and Hayashishta match was excellent, I do think that there's a bit of a disconnect for me when it comes to watching Joshi. I might just not be as um, adept at understanding the style of work that they do. Um they did some, they, there were some incredible moves here and some incredible high spots, but I felt like the pacing was a little disconjointed from what I'm used to. And some of the selling was a little spotty, but uh, the finish came with my Iwatani hit what's called the best poison Rana ever. So she does a bounce off the second rope to the top rope and then jumps backwards and poison Rana's the person out of midair. It's, it's fucking crazy. And, uh, she picked up the win there to successfully defend her title. I went about three and three quarters, maybe like four stars on that one. But, um, you know, it's sitting at an 8.42 in cage match. So that's probably a me thing as opposed to anything else. But um, Rocky versus Mascara Dorada 2.0. Uh, Rocky's done it again. They went out there and had another excursion match of the year contender sitting at a 9.10 on cage match. Dave Meltzer gave it four and three quarters. I'm at about four and a half. And if you haven't seen this match, I highly recommend that you go out of your way and see Rocky Romero versus Mascara Dorada. 
I thought that Dorado was a little bit green here, but God, he he's only 21 years old and he is going to be a phenom. He is so athletically talented. He's a dynamo. And then you had Rocky here healing it up, you know, using every under underhanded trick in the book. And even though I liked his matches with Volador from earlier in the year, a little bit better than this, this crowd on this Friday night in CMLL, it, the environment that they're in is so much hotter right now than it was at the early part of the year. Um, the crowds are just, they're, they're entering into a really hot period CMLL is, and it's amazing how Rocky is one of the top cornerstones of what's going on down there. Um, my favorite part of the match, Rocky towards the tail end, he put Dorada in the camel clutch. And if you don't know um, that move was innovated by the Guerrero family. So it's like he's adding insult to injury by putting a masked uh, luchador in the uh, boss or in the uh, camel clutch in the middle of the ring in Arena Mexico, just healing it up. I thought that he was going to tap this guy out, but ultimately, Mascara Dorada did pick up the win with a 450 splash off the rope. Uh, they took some hellacious bumps on the outside and on the guardrails and and that hard ass ring. Um, Twenty minutes. Trust me. You want to see this match? Go out of your way and catch it. Um, I don't know what I'm going to review next week, but I'll probably pick up another couple excursion matches to uh, to review, and um, that's going to do it for the show. Floyd, it's been such an honor, a privilege to have you on the show here with us. Um, tell the people, you know, what you got going on, where they can catch you, and uh, plug your shit. All right. Uh, well, tomorrow night, Wednesday, right after Dynamite, we'll be recording uh, our all. In preview, it'll be as much as we can because Thursday afternoon I am heading to all in. So, you will, when I get back next Monday, we'll pretty much record our all in uh review. And I'm looking for you will have me from in the stadium, and then you'll have Austin from watching at home, and we'll give our thoughts on the wrestling that happened. But yeah, uh, we try to record every I think it's been pretty much every Thursday now to come out Friday morning. Just that's how me and Austin schedule work. All things elite. Definitely check that out. Uh, follow us on uh, Twitter at AT elite pod at AT elite pod. Uh, follow us on Twitter. I not a super consistent tweeter, but I tweet as much <laughs> as I can. So it's not uh, called tweet anymore. Uh, Xer. What's it called? Yeah, you're an Xer, bro. Yeah, I'm an Xer. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't care what it's called. I, I just <laughs> use the thing where I got the people, you know. No, but I, I, I post all that kind of stuff. Uh, and if you want to follow my personal account, it's at Floyd Johnson Jr., which is weird because I just use my name, but uh, the tag is FTR Express, and that's kind of always, you know, it's always. Uh, it would started off as homage to FTR and Midnight Express, but then I think about how much I travel to see FTR. Basically, I am the FTR Express. You know, you catch this bus to wherever FTR is going to be, so uh, <laughs> you can uh, follow me there. It's actually, I'm uh, going across the ocean to see them, so that should be fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're proclivity for positivity. We focus on what we like. Uh, we don't really focus on what we don't like, but if we really don't like something, we will say it. Don't get me wrong. It, it's just, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Uh, I, 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 you heard me at the beginning of the show. I'm very being honest about the build of All In as someone that is going. I 
I think it's going to be an amazing show. I don't think it's exciting. I, other than there being 80,000 people there, I don't know what you've done to get people to spend forty nine ninety nine on the show. I really don't. <laughs> I mean, I mean, other than it just being the biggest wrestling show ever. And I think that's the whole thing. Uh, it became an event. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. I have tons of thoughts. And Austin is there to shut me up when I go on too long. You know, I, <laughs> I won't get into it too much. I don't. This is just this is just me personally as a wrestling, you know, uh, I guess amateur historian. I don't personally think it is the biggest show of all time. <laughs> but but it, I just I but, guess, it, but it is the biggest verifiable paid attendance of all time. Uh, yes, and, and and that's what I and, and that's what I mean. It's just I was at the, you know we were at the first all in. Me and you were there. You stayed in my room with thirteen people. I remember when I checked in at all in. I checked in right behind Billy and Austin Gunn. I didn't even know who Austin Gunn was, but he looked <laughs> he looked so much like Billy. I'm like, obviously that's his son. But we uh checked in, uh we checked into that that's where we stayed in the same hotel as the Gunn family. Uh yeah. you know, and it was just like it was one of the best weekends I've ever had in my life. And I don't know if any weekend will ever beat that. I'm leaving it open on this weekend. <laughs> I um I think I'm still and you know, this is probably an off the air subject, but I'm I think I'm one of those individuals that I'm pretty confident that WrestleMania three did around 88 K. That's just, I'm in that camp. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, that's neither here nor there. Um, I am very much looking forward to that event and I can't wait to watch a massive wrestling show at noon. That's going to be really cool. Because yeah. Then I'll still get to go out Saturday night, but, um, thank you for being on the show here, Floyd. It's been an honor, a privilege, and I can't wait to hear from you. Um, you know, your stories from uh, attending the event next week. We'll be back with our historic 300th episode of keeping it strong style. Jeremy will be back from vacation and all in at Wembley. Uh, we have a special interview with Rocky Romero. That's in the can queued up for next week. And we'll be live on the air discussing all the latest in NJPW. If you've enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, we are at KI Strong Style. On Facebook, we run the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. On Instagram, we are at KI Strong Style. Uh, you can also follow us on Reddit. Jeremy is the pro black guy. I am Keeping It Strong Style. And you can also email us at jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out all our other shows on the Social Social Suplex Podcast Network, One Nation Radio with Rich Latta and James Boyd, All Things Elite with uh, Boyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Sumwitz, and The Wrestling Disaster with Danny Kugler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiba. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.